Hey, uh, can I? It's a little tinny. Turn yeah. up the bass, a little tinny. <laughs> I got no. Turn uh, on the treble. I got no snare in my headphones. All right, hey everybody, welcome to episode ten of the Enlightened Neanderthals podcast, brought to you by Training Northwest. I am the owner of Training Northwest, a Granite Falls, Washington-based firearms training company, and we are looking forward to bringing some first aid and land navigation in the future. Primarily, that's going to be starting with our three-day rifle rifleman camp, which unfortunately for you guys listening is already sold out. So that'll be our first land navigation class, and uh, I'm not going to say anything more because I got some more stuff in the works. But uh, what's going on, fellas? Not a whole lot. Yeah. Had an epic weekend hunting. An awesome weekend hunting. As a matter of fact, uh, did you guys go Robert Rogers style? <laughs> Naked, covered in bear grease and a bear skin. <laughs> <laughs> Only one of us. Yeah. yeah no, uh, we, we didn't have any luck, though. It was tough. Yeah. I, uh, it was fun, but no luck. Yeah. I, I almost got a shot off. Yeah. Right. But I, I carried this fucking bullshit Amazon holster. Oh. Right. Yeah. And I went to go draw and it just locked up on me. I just couldn't get it. I couldn't even find it in was my it? pants. The clip broke, and it was yeah. just—it was all kinds of fucked up. Because you well, know, I didn't have an allegiance holster. Yeah, you and did. you know, those are made out of like ancient Egyptian materials. Yeah, Technology. Kydex. That that Kydex. Yeah. Kydex. I've heard is what it's called. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and well, they've recently been used to stop a assault in a mall. The actual holster in the food was, court. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the food any hands. hands. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, hey guys, the good news is you can get those at allegianceholsters.com. And use code TNW10 for a 10% discount at checkout. All right, we are talking about the book War on the Run in this episode. So uh, sit down, buckle up, and enjoy. And we're live. All right, guys, so today's episode is our book report on War on the Run by John F. Ross and published by Bantam Books. And this is... The account of Major Robert Rogers, I guess at the time, Captain Robert Rogers, and the ranging companies that he led in the French, or sorry, the French Indian War. Yes. Um, and shortly, uh, you know, precluding the American Revolution. So this, this was a war between the British and the French over basically fur trapping territory. Um, and... Robert Rogers is considered sort of the godfather of modern American special operations. And this, this book reads like a how-to of small unit leadership. It's, it's one of my favorites, and so I'm pretty excited that uh, it's on our reading list. Um, what, what were your guys' you know, kind of overall impression of the book? Um, I, I liked it. Uh, it. It does. It's a pretty wordy book. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a good one. Uh, there's, it kind of goes over Robert Rogers life, um, as a whole. So it starts when he was born, I, I believe it was New Hampshire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right up until when he enlisted, when he was 14, um, into a militia for that was King George's war though. Right. So that was that the first, Oh, yes, first four yes. years of his enlistment was for, King George's War, which was what? What was it? It was called something different. I, I don't um, even know. Like there, there are so many. Think about how Desert Storm will not be remembered in two hundred years. You know what I mean? It, nothing has changed. It's it's just another one of those little wars that meant almost nothing except to the people at the time. So, 
yeah. it, they get sort of uh, lost to history a little bit. It, it's wild, though, how a, a war that was being fought in Europe, because um, it was like, it was, was it some country was like exiling or trying to split away from Britain or something like that? I don't, I don't know what exactly, I don't know what the reason was, but... We still fought it over here, or I guess they fought it over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was kind of a, um, the, it it just broken up into a couple spots like that where it was kind of hard because it seemed like it all mashed together. And being that I wasn't in the military, um, I don't know that I picked up quite as um, profoundly on all the different tactics that he used throughout the uh, whole thing. Okay. So like I think you kind of come from it having that experience so it yeah. you're seeing that and that's like you know well, i'm glad you said tactics because this was a good follow to uh with the old breed on iwo mm-hmm. jima because it was like tactics regressed as as war became more mechanized in the industrial revolution it was like you know one of the things this book hits on is how even the british generals at the time realized the need for Troops who could fight like the Indians, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, flit through the woods and attack and then disappear back into the woods. And they saw the value of that. And then as we became a more mechanized society and, and uh, military, by the time you're World War One, World War Two, you just have these mass formations marching back and forth at each other while you fire this insanely well-engineered destructive weaponry. And it's kind of, and then we didn't learn until after Vietnam. Like, no, 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 we need to kind of go back to the whole use cover and concealment, use camouflage, mm-hmm. um, guerrilla warfare. Yeah, exactly. The camouflage thing is kind of a they they. I I would say that the first camouflage that we were using, or that they were using, I say we. Those, they were British. <laughs> <laughs> they were just here. They were just fuck the king. Dirty yeah, Brits. Um, but. Uh, Robert Rogers actually like when it got to um, the French and Indian War, he paid for his rangers to have ranger green jackets mm-hmm. as opposed to blue or red or whatever the hell yeah. was the mm-hmm. yeah. uh, what soldiers were wearing. So he he started like realizing like, hey, if I if I blend in, we're going to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was a lot of stuff like that. That was really cool. Yeah. Well, a lot um, of these rangers were not. um regular soldiers either. They were just frontiersmen who only because they knew of Roger's reputation were willing to serve with him. Like imagine you went to like a roughneck bar in Alaska and you're like, all right, I'm putting together an outfit to go uh, raiding into uh, Kazakhstan or whatever. And people are like, well, as long as it's you leading it, I'll go with you. And that's a little bit how he was raising uh, these companies. And so he was handpicking frontiersmen and outdoorsmen and, and men who knew the woods and who had grown up in close proximity to the Indians and, and settlers were kind of intermixing. Sometimes they'd get captured and murdered and sometimes they'd get captured and like adopted into the tribes. And so yeah. the ones that ended up being, you know, kind of halfway adopted picked up a lot of the Indians, uh, like their knowledge of the woods and their way of stalking through the woods and hunting and just their general like the way they traveled rather than needing the big wide flat open road, they were capable of traveling off road, like at yeah. a, at a, like an efficient rate. Yeah. Um, so he went out and found men who had all those traits and recruited them into his, his ranger companies. Hmm. I think if, uh, well, this book was crazy. Uh, to me, um, it was a very good r- book. I recommend it for anyone. I wish I had 
done more research about the time period and the backstory before reading it because this is a very thick book. It's about the size of two Bibles. And uh, so there's a, there's a lot to read, but I wish I knew more of the backstory and the history of the time period of all the different colonies of the British, of the French. Um, I mean, even the Spanish were coming yeah. over. There's a lot of stuff going on. You know, time. so I wish I had. It's, a, it's less than 500 pages, but only barely. Yeah. So it's not. But it's, it's not. Like it's not the thickest long. book. Yeah. No. yeah, but it's college ruled. So. But yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's a size nine font. Um, but it's not like the wording of it. It's not maybe not the most elegant or it doesn't structurally like drive you into, I want to understand the next sentence or read this because this is poetry to my ears. What it was, was kind of like Peleliu. Like when I was telling the story about why I like that book about with the old breed and they were talking about, um, taking gold teeth out of soldiers' mouths and just one soldier was so hardened by war. It's personal stories. They're talking about scalping motherfuckers. It, But it wasn't just personal stories. It was like every... You, it get dry. What I thought was maybe for like five minutes of reading and then it was like... And then, and then there was the bloodbath like, yeah, started. Two hundred people battling with hatchets and hatchets tomahawks, and, you know, and and but sharp just, knives. It, the yeah, craziness, yeah. Pull but out not your long knife and your tomahawk. But not even the battling, like the the weather they endured, the coldness, the starving, the moving at night. That's th- these are the parts. Okay, I'm glad you're going. They, there. Yeah, they did this, this is, with no. This ropes. is what makes this boat, this boat, this book profound to me. Keep going. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. No, so just what these guys really endured, and not only endured like physically or being a warrior, but like the disease and the sickness yeah. and the people dying all around him. I mean, he had malaria. He had, was it syphilis uh, or um, smallpox? Hell yeah. Smallpox. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the dude had like six diseases. It sounded like, yeah. yeah. but so for me, it was just insane. What, whenever it started to get, maybe I've thought it fell off. It would just pick up with craziness. Just the intensity of the lives that these guys were living was so intense. Yeah. But and a little, a little historical like background there for that is about the time, like roughly 1750s that this was happening. The Northeast portion of like the United States and Canada went into what's called the little ice age. So during the winter, the temperatures up around New York State and in that you know New England area were like I think they said negative forty degrees in January it's, and February. Yeah. So that's what these guys were conducting operations in, and they weren't clad in North Face gear to climb Mount Everest. No, this was all they were like wearing like, handmade exactly. They were wearing they moccasins, to... and at one point I remember reading that it was going to be a particularly arduous arduous mission. So they each man was ordered to bring a bearskin bear and a deerskin. Yeah. <laughs> like, Holy shit. Like, yeah, but what hey, else? It's going to be negative 40 out, so bring a bearskin. Yeah. What else were they doing, though? They were, they were rubbing themselves down with bear fat also, yeah. Like yeah. rubbing bear fat all over their bodies to help insulate themselves. Yeah, that's, that's wild. wild. That, yeah, that's... Oh. Everyone had to stink so bad. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> we used yeah. to do something similar uh, in <laughs> MMA class. <laughs> And it was, uh-huh. it was, I'm not joking. This is the God's honest truth, uh, uh, with olive oil. What? Yeah. We would, we would rub ourselves down with olive oil, uh, and take our shirts off. And then it was Greco with <laughs> trips at Ivan's. I swear to God, I swear to God, that was, that was like, 
Yeah, and it because you get super slippery. And oh, yeah, you do. You'd be able to, yeah, you'd be able to grab and throw. But anyway, oh, yeah, it got hot shit. in there. Was there? It got uh, hot in there. But was there like fat, a weird dude in there shooting videotape? Bare fat. That's not the point. <laughs> Something about a casting. Yeah. yeah, nobody got paid. They were gonna give it to the uh, <laughs> the people, and then maybe if they liked it, we'd get paid. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's two just to, out, it's just out two to three thousand dollars a day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. What I I there was parts in this book where like I I thought were super funny because you look all the way back then you you listen to the language they're talking and like how they're writing letters and stuff and it's like they mm-hmm. are talking such different like it's a different language. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's English, but like just the way they're talking is different. Um, but they weren't like on a mental intellectual level than us right like there was a point in it where they were making bets for some guy to uh <laughs> eat um fish guts oh yeah like yeah, rotten yeah. fish guts yeah. and he ate three entire fish or something like yeah. that. that's and all yeah. yeah so guys are standing around and i'm like i will bet you a <laughs> bottle of rum <laughs> if you eat that so i mean just like looking back it's like okay these guys boys were, will be boys yeah, yeah yeah exactly that hasn't changed in the last 300 years you know no it has not so, um, i so think cool. it's i think it's interesting uh you're kind of talking about like he would get ordinary people and they would follow him because they had heard about this guy's heroism or his tales or what he does and leading guys into battle. But I think it's kind of important to look at where he came from and who he was raised by. Like the reason he was so good at this guerrilla warfare is because he was close to native people and living in, you know, kind yeah. of a tribal lifestyle. Yeah, his dad almost. moved them like way out into the the frontier. Yeah, and so they grew up pretty. Like a lot of people were, or I shouldn't say a lot, but like all these frontiersmen were growing up self sufficient. Yeah, and uh, that's actually one of the kind of tenets of modern spe- uh, special operations now is that your lowest level people are not only entitled, but they're 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 supposed to be capable of decision making, whereas sort of the uh, traditional military model that like the British army was using at the time. And it, it talks in here about how the British soldiers and officers kind of looked down on the continental soldiers and especially on the Rangers because they considered them rabble yeah. because the lower enlisted would dare avoid, like they have opinions. It's yeah. like, how dare you? It's like, Oh no. But even Rogers like also respected that to the point to the point where he would kind of say, you know, my men have, like, their opinion matters in this mission. Yeah. The lowest private on here is a good frontiersman. Yeah. So I want to hear what they have to say about this operation. And they were involved in the planning. Um, and that, and the British thought that he was basically letting less intelligence or less intelligent people plan his operations. Yeah. And so even in today, like the American Army today, um, one thing I remember in uh, second ranger battalion is that we would get like a new lieutenant platoon leader who had come in before you could come to the ranger regiment as as an officer you had to do that job somewhere out in the big army so they would come from another infantry unit as lieutenants to do platoon leader time in the ranger regiment and the first time we would do a live fire exercise you would inevitably kind of get a comment about like i didn't think the squad leaders would be so involved in the planning because you were. And and in the big army, planning is an officer's role. And then they share the plan with the NCOs, and the NCOs execute the plan, whereas you get into units like the Ranger Regiment, like Force Recon or SF or whatever, and the enlisted men have a l- much larger role in the actual planning of the operation. Yeah. And so that, that's one of the that's one of the 
sort of legacies of, of Roger's leadership. Well, what he said was he wanted to write a manual that like it wasn't like the brass would create. It was that any serving individual could read and understand. And those 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 orders are still in effect in today's seventy fifth Ranger Regiment. Yeah. The twenty eight rules arranging. Yes. Ranger, yeah. Yeah, but I thought also, so from his upbringing, like, it was kind of hard. Certain things I had questions about, but it seemed like he had a lot of uh, Indian contact growing up. Like, when his father moved him out there, like, he had a lot of contact with, I don't know if you call them Indian villages or just people from Indian tribes. As people were moving in closer, he was more affiliated and spending time with them. And I think it's interesting, one, it gave him... Not in a like a, an appreciation, but a respect for their culture and what they were able to do, like how they he was as a child starting to work with them and run through the forest and learn the different ways of the forest and the animal and the game. And I think one of the things he said was like the speed at which the forests move. And trying to understand that more. And as you see later as he develops his ta- techniques, as more of the culture was against Indians, I felt like he was impartial. He wasn't like they're good or they're bad. But he's like, I respect them for what they know and they do. And that really, I think, shaped quite a bit of his technique and his personality and what, you know, as it got later, passive French and Indian into the revolution and the expansions of the territory, just what he thought was right and wrong is, I mean, later in it, it kind of got weird. He wanted not, a, he wasn't a governor, but for, to, his end is tragic, but it's oh, almost it's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, look what's happening to all the soft dudes who are coming home now. Yeah. Like you, you live that, like he fought that war for all these years and then eventually became just this worn out, burned out combat soldier. Yeah. And it's very, um, there's a very close parallel to, you know, the issues a lot of guys come home from the war on terror with. Yeah. Um, well, didn't he even go to jail in the end there? Yeah. Because oh, yeah. He, he yeah. Of rum <laughs> and yeah. not having tax tags. Yeah. yeah. But hang on. You well, were hitting a- on like a, another kind of, you know, another thing that grabbed me was, and it's not even directly talked about in the book, but imagine being an immigrant. So his parents were immigrants yeah. who came to New England and then his dad and a partner bought like a couple thousand acres, like way out on the edge of the, you know, the known new world. So they're frontiersmen going out to hack a living basically into the wilderness. Imagine if you had come from serfdom in Europe and you're like, it's like, first of all, think it had to be, think about how bad it had to be in Europe to be like, you know what? I'm going to take everything I own, yeah. which fits in a box, and I'm going to put it on a ship where I have probably a 15% chance of dying in transit, and I'm going to go to this new world that I don't know anything about, and I'm just going to head off into the woods yeah, and try to figure it out yeah. and not have a fucking clue what you're doing because you came from the feudal system where you're sort of told what to do day in and day out yeah. and just have to go out into the wilderness and figure it out. Yeah. That, to me, like... That's why those people grew up so tough. That's why kids of those people came up, you know what I mean? Because you either learned how to hunt squirrels and rabbits and deer, or you just didn't fucking make it through the winter. Yeah. Yeah, it is a weird idea to think of about, like, people escaping only because of taxes and religious persecution and freedom. It would be like... That crazy 3% they were paying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right? But that's what I mean. Like, could you imagine a world today where we're just like, this is so insane. I've had it with Washington. I'm going to sail to Hawaii, you know? 
But I mean, that was the. No, there, there's nowhere left now. But this I mean, unexplored territory. But that right was here. the mentality of those people. If I was like, you guys, Washington State's out of its mind. I've got a sailboat. I want you to get your family I've in heard, your possessions. I've heard if we go that and, way yeah, for six weeks. I'm going to take us. So it's like, these people are insane. You have to admit. Yeah. Like, they really are crazy well, they, they, I think they had that sailing pretty well dialed because he made, what, two he, or he three made trips? He made quite a few crossings. Yeah. But two still, or three I trips think, in I his think immigrant boats. That's more than I've made. I think disease was so rampant. <laughs> on the- <laughs> Carnival cruise I, points. I've what? never sailed the Atlantic <laughs> once. Yeah. Um, I think I think the mortality rate on those immigrant uh, ships was extremely high. Yeah. Just yeah. disease and famine. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he had so many different cool things that he did. but And like you said, like towards the end there, it, it gets pretty tragic. It's kind of sad. It is super sad. Even George Washington's like, who's this son of a bitch? That's, well, like, that's, he that's, did so much good. He did so much, yeah, but then he kind of well, lost yeah. his way there yeah. towards the end. And that's when I was like, man, because there was, I forget what the guy's name was, Gage. Yeah. Um, Ends up being one of the, the main heroes, generals. right? Well, mm-hmm. he ends up being one of the main British generals in the Revolutionary War. Yeah. Uh, how'd that work out? <laughs> Not well. Okay. Yeah, because George Washington, my guy, when he told Rogers to suck a bag of dicks, that's when I was like, yeah, you know what? This Rogers guy's really lost his way. <laughs> you know? But it took George Washington for me to get on board I, I with thought it. it was, again, I thought it was telling of how, in this case, the British government, but the government used him, used him up. Oh, yeah. And yeah. when they were done with him, we're like, all right, fuck off. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that he that's, was just trying to that's get paid. Everything you need to know if you're thinking of joining the military to serve <laughs> your country. <laughs> yeah, he he was trying to get paid because oftentimes he would supply his troops. Yes. So he was paying to get all of his out of gear pocket, yeah. out of pocket, trying to get you know, like I said, the right, because he had personally raised these companies, like traveled around New England and said, yeah. "Hey, if you from if you come fight, if you come fight with me, you'll get paid, you'll get equipment, and then." Yeah. And he took when, care of his guys. Exactly. And, and that's why the they wanted to fight out, for him. He would have to pay that shit out of pocket. So then when he finally jumped on that boat again and sailed over there and was like, yo, bud, where's my money? <laughs> uh, the king was like, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And here's prison. Yeah. Hang out in here. In debtor's prison. Yeah. Yeah. For seven years and so, half of it, he spent in confinement of yeah, the prison. Some, some ridiculous thing. Well, it's, it's sad. So I think we're kind of jumping around a little bit. Yeah, so we're we, all over the place. <laughs> I mean, but it is. It's an interesting book, and it, it, it's a very fascinating period of time in history, especially for us. And uh, so, okay, so we're kind of talking about him growing up, moving out. Um, well, okay, so hold on. As as he was growing up, uh, one thing that I I think to what you said, you know, about being shaped by native culture and all that, yeah. The Abenaki tribe mm-hmm. was like they were killers, right? They were just yeah. savage, and not <laughs> my bad. <laughs> oh, we're getting like canceled. That. Not like that. Uh, they were they were badasses, right? Yeah. And and they were warriors. Um, and when he was fourteen, <laughs> they went through and they burnt his family's farm down. Yeah. Right. So, and the, shortly after that, I think he joined. Yeah. Uh, that militia, but like, could you imagine being out there in in the you know great unknown and you're in you're dealing with all this stuff yeah to have a tribe come out and burn your family's stuff down and then not have a lifelong you know vengeance well i remember even in the beginning it was like um 
in their little town there going to church. And they had like centurions or guard people mm-hmm. just to keep out watch for Indians and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that little Even girl. In that little like, girl. Should I say anything? Yeah, and it was just like the whole time uh, everyone was warring. But it's like, I don't know if it was as much territory warring or like setting I th- I an example. I think it was more like, like resource, stay- resource yeah. protection and resource raiding. Yeah. Stay out of our hunting grounds. Yeah. And oh, by the way, we're snagging some chickens while we're here. See, but this is the thing. Yeah, but when they burn down your Yeah, your because that's house, like, go like, like, you're in our I hunting had a grounds. Neighbor, yeah. I had a neighbor run over one of my uh, soccer balls as a kid. <laughs> I'll still kill that guy. No, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. You know, if I if I found him, <laughs> burn you know. His, uh, burn his house down that and scalp was, his wife. Yeah, that was Fuck, yeah. 20 years ago, you know. <laughs> so it's like, man, I could only imagine if they burned our house down. Yeah. But it's like, I wonder, like, if... I wish there was more books written from the Indians' viewpoint because I've re- read in a, read a few like Black Elk Speaks and then what was that one Rogan Empire of the Summer Moon and then a few fur trapping books and it was like the Indian culture is weird and it's still something I can't grasp because of things like revenge and stuff weren't exactly the way we see revenge. Like, revenge for us is like, oh, you killed my father, so now I'll kill you. Revenge has been served. But for them, maybe you killed their father, but for revenge to be adequate, it's like you owe acts of service and doing stuff. And, like, you hear in the beginning all these Indian attacks and what was happening. It's like, I wish I just had a better understanding or, like, you had a book from, you know their viewpoint as to what was happening with these white people coming in the British, the French. Um, I mean, it is weird to see a more of an alliance with the French than the British. Is it a type of culture? Is it a way of lifestyle? Well, it sounds like the French assimilated much more readily into more of a native type culture. Because culture, it, right? ta- yeah. it talks repeatedly about how much um, more in tune the French were with that frontier style of warfare because they were all fur trappers and outdoorsmen. Yeah. Um, and so they hadn't tried, you know, the British had settled these uh, maritime colonies where people were fishermen and agriculturists yeah. and uh, sailors. But is that where like British, uh, what do you call it? Aristocrat? Aristocracy? Aristocracy. Aristocracy. Like having like, I'm better than you or this person's at a higher level. Well, I think, like, a when lo- you I think start you had to- a lot more white collar type people in these. Uh, again, coastal populations right. is where you're going to get all your white collars. Yeah. And as you go further inland, you're going to see more and more blue collar. So yeah. it was almost like a, a frontier version of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It just makes me, like I said, I wish I did so much more back reading on this because yeah. the culture, the time frame, the history of it. There's so much going on at that point. There's so much you know? going on. And yeah, to, exactly. That was what I was going to say as well is because like there's so many different little facets in, in the American like yeah history yeah. that uh, it would be cool to know. And I'm not, I'm not a huge historian, so um, obviously I'm not at all, um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, it'd be cool to have a little bit more on the night 1740s, you know, to know what was happening. And, yeah. you know, because I started going down the road of uh, Rogers, like, you know, just doing research after the fact. And, yeah, he had he had some pretty amazing things happening to him around then. But there was also, you know, the the French were really looking for land and like yeah. trying to trying to get, you know, plots of land and getting all that. So there there was shit going on everywhere where you know and i could imagine and that to what you said i don't know how an indian 
um, mindset was back then, our native mindset was to be able to go, these people are coming in and they're talking about owning land like, yeah, and yeah. not even yeah. understanding what that actually what means. And like, yeah, imagine that having you your know? mind blown by some dude show up and be like, "All right, this uh, this meadow in the woods is mine now." Yeah, being like, "Wait, what? I'm sorry, say this again. Run, run that by me one more time. Like, yeah. just yours. Like you and like nobody else is gonna walk through here. Like, I don't think you understand <laughs> how this works, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but then you know that's what happened." Right. So, yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. So, it's like you, they just came and threw bodies at it and said, We're going to fight you. Yeah. You know, and we're going to take all this. And to an Indian, maybe going, Well, nobody owns this. Like, yeah. What are, what are you talking give about? Give me some some beads of, was it Abawampi or what, how, how oh. do you say that? Wampum. 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 Yeah. Some seashells and, yeah. you know. We'll we'll call it even. <laughs> like what? What? Which is weird, you know. But I think I think that there was a lot of like that going on where they would give them necklaces and beads, and they'll trade. Be like, I'm coming back for that in six months. You know what I mean? Like I don't. Yeah. But I that's didn't what quite I understand that. That's what I meant. Like of like when you kill someone, say you kill my father, and so now I have to kill you or kill your father to make it right. Whereas they were like, okay, so like with that land ownership, I own this. Oh, okay, so to own this, I'm giving you this thing for this amount of time, like this necklace. But like you said, in six months, I want it back. Because I'm letting you use this area or just the trade or the idea of trade and barter. Yeah, it was very interesting. You'd hear little deals that would happen between the, mm-hmm. you know, people in the tribes or things that they put value on. Mm-hmm. Like, because you gave me shells, it means you're an honorable man. Whereas a white guy would be like, shake my hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's you just know, call this even. Yeah, I don't need no gay shells. But, you know, <laughs> someone else is like, this is what matters, the earth. They started it, bringing that back in the 90s. Yeah. Like, Take my puka. <laughs> puka shell. <laughs> you know. Oh, God. But it's just, it's an interesting, like you're saying, the time period, just the clashing of cultures. And I, I just honestly wish in this time period more, there was more written about just the indigenous. Because I feel like so much of it, as it kept going further, uh, I mean, the mentality t- of the Americas and the people on the land towards the Indians was just fuck them. You know, get rid of them. Oh, yeah. The entire settlement of the New World. <laughs> I mean, not to tie it into pet issues, but this, this is why the Second Amendment is important. Yeah. Like, like hey, the government's going to take care of you guys. Just trust us. We'll, uh, yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. Wink, wink. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, um, the trade thing is kind of, I, I, I think they were so, skewed because like they're like okay we're gonna give you you know multiple rifles and some wampum and some lead and some this or that and then we're taking this land and it's like today you'd be like you did what for what and i don't know if it was because tools mattered so much more back then um to have a a rifle was like oh take 200 acres you can kill a deer at 50 yards yeah take take this please you know if i can have that um but you know the fact that uh there wasn't really the knowledge of like owning land that it's just so foreign to me 
right? Because yeah. that's all I've ever wanted was like, I to want more land. property, yeah. right? Yeah, the so, idea that nobody owns the land. It's because you're a yeah. white guy. Cause yeah, all yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that, that's what I mean. Like, it's it's so impossible to, you know, yeah. for me to think in that, you know, that way. It's just a yeah, different time. Yeah. Just such a interesting time period and just... I don't even like community gardens. <laughs> stay out of here. <laughs> That's my yeah. corn. You know? my lawn. Yeah. No. I, I, I get... It, it was really cool the way things probably were here. I, I could imagine before we got here, we kind of... Cool in a way. Cool in a way that but like... Tough but tough and it, shitty. Yeah. I, I was going to say, so, we also... Another thing this book highlighted for me is that people sort of romanticize old ways. Like... Oh, we all just need to go back to subsistence living like before the settlers were here. And it's like, no, motherfucker, that was a hard, hard life. I'm glad that I'm laying yeah. in a warm bed with a roof over my head, reading about it and not like scratching a lean to tonight and trying to get some wet bark to burn so that I can survive till sunup. Well, I, that's a good point. Uh, so I finished this book a couple days ago and I am still cold from reading it. <laughs> so uh, like as crazy as it was of the time and everything. So let's get a little further into it. So as Rogers gets older and starts to get more affiliated with the fighting as the wars of the French and Indian wars really start to beginning and he starts to kind of train men. I feel like uh, that's where the book for me, like around chapter maybe... 13, 12, it really started to take off where he's really starting to get in with his men. Like the beginning was just, I mean, also like as he's getting more famous and he's doing these things, he's also kind of like a modern day celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another good point is the Boston Gazette is writing about yeah. all these sort of escapades he has up into Northern New York where he's, you know, raiding the French. And so they're writing these sort of, uh, yeah, you know, almost like think about how like SEAL Team Six. Every time during the War on Terror, SEALs did anything. There was like a big to do yeah. on on the news or whatever. Like SEAL Team attacks, yeah. you know, uh, compound in Jalalabad. And <laughs> yeah. Made more coffee, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Here they are, and, yeah. Uh, and so that would that and that was part of his recruitment too. Is yeah, his fame was spreading so that when he was back in New England. And he would go to the taverns and look. He would again looking for yeah. young men who were had frontier skills, and that that's one of the ways he got them into his company. And he, so, like, he would do all these little raiding and war parties and like defending of forts and stuff like that. And I felt like he was one of the first modern day of that time. I mean, pre, like you said, the Boston Gazette was writing about him. Like, he was one of the first celebrities of that day of the George Washington of the. Of the new world, like 1776 yeah. time yeah. period, he was, you know, the Kardashian, but for war in America and like fighting off the French foreign invaders or the Indians that are trying to keep us from, you know, prospering in this land, which yeah. is kind of an interesting, totally. like not only was he a warrior, but he was like, I'm also a public figure. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you think that, I mean, that had to have helped. In his recruiting, oh, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think he's. You're probably looking at. You know, you show up to a town or a, a colony, and you go to recruit people, and they're like, "Oh, you know, like kind of young guys are kind of starstruck." Yeah. yeah. You know, the first that's, bit of like, "What is that's this?" Robert yeah, that's him. Holy yeah. crap! Like, here we go. Yeah. I'll do anything. Yeah. You know. So I felt that really aided a lot of fuel to the fire. 
but then the training begins and it's like <laughs> they start getting into what they have to do and bring it's, a bear skin. Oh my, but it's beyond bring a bear skin. It's and your homemade snowshoes. We don't have fires. Yeah, we move at night. We barely eat food. We, I know that one cup of corn has 800 calories in it, you know, and maybe I can't even add and water get, to like, it. 20 cups of corn or and whatever. Evading enemies. Like, uh, let's be evasive. Yeah. So let's walk through swamps and water instead yep. of trails. Yep. One of the other things that grabbed me is that he would just set a fast pace. Like when they were leading out on a raid and they're going to be gone for three weeks. Yeah. He would start out at like a really fast pace. Just to see who didn't, like, by the end of the second day, if anybody wasn't keeping up, he'd turn them around and send them back to the fort. That, that was one of the ways he knew. he'd be, And he'd be watching for anybody who's, like, trying to hide an in, like, they've got a bum ankle or some yeah. sort of injury or illness that they're trying to conceal. Yeah. So he'd just tear off out of the fort, <laughs> headed north, and it's like, keep, whoever's still keeping up after 48 hours. He would move, like, 50 miles a day. Yeah. That's uh, hauling yeah. ass. Yes. I mean, in snow. Yeah. yeah. In, in negative shoes. temperatures. At one point, That's I'm pretty sure wild. he was on fucking ice skates. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ice skates. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they ice skate up Fort George yeah. or uh, Lake George or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. The yeah. ice capades this guy was doing. <laughs> well, and it's... Uh, but that's innovation. Like, that's, again, that's... Think about how stuck in normal channels, like bureaucracy, like a large military gets. This is a guy who is just thinking outside the box and like, how do we get up the lake fast? Oh, we get on skates. Yeah. Yeah. But that makes me go to thinking more of like his upbringing and being with like an Indian culture of just like, I have to adapt to my environment, whatever my, and I don't care what people think. Maybe he looks stupid with those little twirly durly ice skates on. But for him, it's all about efficiency and survival. Well, was it Fort George that they were, you know, I we're jumping around, but I believe there was, it was like the middle of the winter and they're like, nobody's coming. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then here he comes with his crew and they're just yeah. cruising through the winter. And this was a point <laughs> where they were like, Hey, zero chance. Anybody's out there. Right yeah, now. no, we're going to, we're going to shut her down during the winter months. Typically, you know, like there's no war happening in the winter and yeah. here he comes like, no, we're fucking coming for you and we're going to take that. Yeah. You know, I just, it's, and they wouldn't even attack the fort. They would. They would fire, they would ambush someone outside the fort, which caused everybody to run inside the fort and lock it up. And then they would slaughter all the animals, which now you're, you're wintering with less provisions yeah. and they, you know, they would burn huts and rice and anything they found outside the fort, but they're, they weren't directly attacking the enemy so much as they were denying him some of his uh, logistical support. Yeah. Which again, modern day special operations that it, it the parallels are, are wild. Yeah. Well, in like, I mean, it, it was impressive to me because you're, you're putting on that rifle camp, right? Or the rifleman camp. Yeah. And you just sent out a list to people. Oh, by the way, these two will be there. So if you guys want to, oh, you know what? It's hung. It's never mind. It's sold out. Sorry, guys. Next year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take uh, pictures. For yeah. you. Come hang out with the, the Neanderthal crew. Yeah. Um, anyway, you, you sent out a list and it was bring this. And he had the same similar list. It was, I mean, obviously not the same, but it was like he had a list of things that the guys needed. And I don't know if he was supplying a certain amount of them because, like I said, with the the coats and um, all that, he wanted his guys to be dressed in green and not fucking red for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was like 65 lead balls or shots or whatever and, like, you know, times that by 100, and that's what we'll be carrying. Yeah. But. You know, it, it, it's, 
it the parallels that I've been drawing are stuff like that, and it's not as much like oh they s- cut off supply lines. You know, I wasn't thinking like oh that's that's what we're doing now because yeah. I haven't been in the situation where yeah. you're like oh yeah I'm gonna starve this this village. You the know, thing I don't fort. I don't get though is like they were a moving tactical team and they're doing all this stuff, but it's like how did they survive? How, how I know I I don't get that out of reading. On, how did on they rations serve of salt pork and dried peas and ginger? I mean, every ginger, time they're yeah. like, I have some dried ginger. It's yeah. like, oh, are Ooh, you full now? <laughs> like yeah. dried ginger. Yeah, they they didn't. They yeah, didn't. but how did they survive? And no fires at night. Uh, they were, how they were did you doing, survive? At one point, it, at one point, it talks about they wore a track in the snow, walking circles around a tree to, to stay, stay awake. Warm. No, to stay awake. Yeah, because it was so cold that night. There, there, if there was like one guy who sat down and just died. I, I don't get it. Fucking I don't cold. I've been in like eight degree weather with my dad yeah. in a truck on a hunting trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, there's it, no goddamn way. <laughs> no <laughs> fire, Jordan. <laughs> no, yeah, no fire. If it was like I was in a truck and we turned that bitch on and yeah. you know get warm for a little bit and then shut it off and 45 minutes to an hour later turn it back on and you know yeah. I have, I'm covered and stuff. Yeah, in in the Being, Appalachian Mountains in Dahlonega, Georgia, where mountain phase of ranger school is now, it gets into single digits in January and February. And I remember laying in it behind a tree. Pulling security in a patrol base at night, and me and two other guys were literally laying on top of each other, trying to stay warm. Seven degrees out. Yeah, and that's not why they were doing it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and uh, no, no jackets on, just our BD, like our camis, our fatigues, BDUs. And I remember thinking, oh my god, my I can feel my bones aching. It is so cold <laughs> yeah. that my my lower leg and lower arm bones actually hurt. <laughs> Fucking miserable. I don't I don't get how these guys did it. And like the no fire moving through swamps and the cold at night only, not I, during the day. Everything's wet. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah. It, it's and, and they then moved it, like animals. Yeah. They moved like animals. But then it's like, okay, you look at also it's like look at all the disease that happened. Is that because their immune system was so taxed from being cold? tired and hungry that the things like the scurvy the things like the smallpox the things like the malaria were able to kick in just because these people were so diminished so ravaged in oh their absolutely body. and it, it that and lack of sanitation but yes absolutely yeah like yeah. i said i'm still warming up yeah well i might uh it's early yet but i'm gonna call a pee break yeah. all right uh, we're back. I don't know. Should we uh, segue the episode for a moment with uh, Mike Kozak stories? <laughs> yeah. I, My war on the run. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I want to hear this now. Uh, okay. So, so I, a guy came to Greg's gym in pajamas, like no shit pajamas or. So, yeah, yeah. So, God, I forget. I, like I was a, either a blue belt. It was my tail run at being a blue belt. And I feel Greg kind of throttled me a little bit to be like, I want you to be a good blue belt. And we had uh, another guy there, Joey. And he was a monster, and he was still a blue belt, and I thought he should have been a purple belt. So, uh, anyways, I was somewhere in that range. So it's like I was decent. I was decent to begin with, but now I've got Sensei Greg, and I'm even better. We have this guy come in in an evening class, and he was just like fat, sloppy. I don't care if you're fat, but he was fat and sloppy and gross, and the 
dude had a smell to him. He friggin' stunk. There's something just wrong with him. And he had pajama pants on. He had flannel, like, lumberjack, red and black flannel pants on. <laughs> and he comes to Greg and he goes, I want to do jujitsu. And Greg goes, okay, sign this waiver and you can go on there. And he signs a waiver and goes, I just want to let you know, I'm not a, I'm not a ground fighter. But I'm a stand-up fighter. Oh shit! And he walks out onto the matches and he starts shadow boxing, <laughs> like he's throwing feints and up. jabs and doing all this Shut stuff. Up. And Greg just looks at me and he goes, "Kozak, you got this." And I go, "I got you." So Greg hit the round timer. Round started, and I just pour like. Dude, I didn't want this guy at our gym. <laughs> he stunk. <laughs> he was weird, you know? So it's like, all right, I'm going to give you something to remember. And we, we made it halfway. I submitted him maybe two times, three times. And we go to stand up the next time. And I go to slap him bump. And he, instead of slapping, as we go to do it, he, he pauses and he gives me the one second finger. He goes, huh? His eyes get real big. And he looks at me and goes, huh? <laughs> covers his mouth and he runs downstairs and he threw up all over the trash can <laughs> downstairs and he comes up and he goes to Greg and he goes, Greg, this was awesome. I want this to be part of my life. And he gave him like $80 or hundred dollars. He goes, here's my first, first month on the table. I never saw never that saw guy him again. <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. He never showed oh, he up. He paid for an ass uh, beating and left. He paid for an ass beating and left. That's awesome. All right. That's good. All right, That's so nice. uh, War on the Run, Major Robert Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> pajama pants in this crew. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah no shit. Um, where'd we, what did we leave off with? Being cold. Being cold, being miserable. Not eating food. Yeah, just sort of the, the dire conditions these guys were doing this in. Um it, that is still just, it's baffling. To me, it is just honestly baffling. The conditions these guys went through, and then to think of this guy, Roger Waters, or Roger Waters. Roger Waters, I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Roberts being um, just so motivated. What the hell keeps this guy going? What makes you, I mean, these guys were full, of, like these young men were full of piss and vinegar, and there's even, uh, I wrote something down that was, you know, by midway through the war, he had no trouble recruiting because so many of these frontier kids were so burned out of long days working a plow for their dad or a hoe or something. You know what I mean? They were they were dying to get off their family's frontier farm yeah. and have some adventure. And they had all grown up, you know, again chasing squirrels and deer in the woods when they weren't hunt or uh, working for their for their parents on the farm. Yeah, and so it, it just sort of struck me because that's why I joined. The Ranger Regiment is coming out of high school. I was looking for challenge and adventure, and that but was like, my sort of impetus to join. After the third day of sleeping in seven degree weather, I don't think they felt bad for themselves. It, at no point in this, the other thing about this book, um, and it's sort of uh, similar to who's it, Ernest Shackelford, uh, Endurance. Mm -hmm. Is that the right name? The guys who got stuck down in Antarctica for like oh, over a year. Yeah. When you read on that oh, whaling ship, not Shackleford, Shackleton. Whaling on that yeah. whaling ship. Yeah. So and they you, they burn blubber and yeah. shit like that. And yeah. Eat seagulls. Seal blubber. Yeah. yeah. For fuel. Yeah. But for over a year, 
and when you read his, uh, you read that book, Endurance, which is mostly just his personal diary, mm-hmm. at no point is there like, oh, this is so hard. It's just very matter of fact. Like, yeah, today was a good day. We killed a seagull. So all 40 of us got to eat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. holy shit. And yep. they, they, at no time do these people feel bad for themselves. But I have to think of like, you kind of, as you read this book, you kind of see there is a little bit of brashness to this guy and humor oh, and yes. ego and stuff. And he would say throughout battle, there would be times like, I think there's one battle in specific that guys were shooting. Um, they were hiding behind a stump stump. And then the Indians would throw the rocks. And then he's like, we rather throw rocks too, to give you a fair fight. And you he know? started throwing rocks, rocks at back, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and, but it's like, there is a bit of a hubris and an ego and a certain thing to this guy. And I wonder like in his head, he's like, I'm king in the world. Yeah. Let's march. But I wonder if his, all of his soldiers still had that same drive, that hubris, that, you know, to go for it, whereas he was like, I'm this great man, I'm going to do this. And the people behind him, they're like, he is a great man, but at a certain point where they're ever like, what the hell are we doing? I think he's just a wild motherfucker. And that, yeah. that appeals to a lot of young men, like 24-year-old young men, that appeals to. Yeah. And they look at that and they go, I want to go with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Give yeah. me a bear skin and some ginger. I'm and then, going and then not only like it hits on another point of like sort of the esprit de corps of the unit. So after they had pulled a couple of these raids up into, uh, what is it? Lake Champlain. Mm-hmm. Like they started to feel pretty salty and like, rather than again, British conscripts who were just there because they're dirt poor. So they were put into the army and they could care less. Like they became proud of their, their ranger companies. To where now now they've get, now they've really got something they've got something to fight for while they're out there and then when they're back at the uh, back at the fort they're kind of proud of themselves yeah and I remember it talks about how they would at first they would sh- take target practice at the fort and then the commanding British general or I can't remember what rank he was but he got he got he sort of like uh, chastised Rogers for taking target practice saying it was a waste of lead and powder. Yeah. Was so that they, the Commodore? Yeah, whatever. One of the end. Yeah. Uh, so they just moved across the river so that they could continue taking. And so the British would still hear them firing shots and know that they were practicing their marksmanship. Yeah, their training. Yeah. But then one of the, they send a British ensign out to, I, I can't remember what, what his purpose out there was, but he, he comes back with this story of, he said, I saw one of the rangers kill two deer, a duck, and like <laughs> yeah. three pheasants with four shots. Yeah. And he's like, Oh my God, that's why they're out there practicing their marksmanship. He's, he took out like three pheasants with one bullet. Yeah. So in this, uh, like I said, it was a lot of information coming in. What, what was their perception of the British, as you could tell? I mean, because I feel like in the end, it was kind of like he felt maligned and like screwed over and he was being used. Oh, for sure. He, he got there but eventually, in, but during, that's during what I mean. his service, he was definitely a ladder climber. Like he was trying to, remember, he asked for a commission and during the American Revolution, he asked the English first for a commission. Commission, And he yeah. doesn't go ask the Continental Army until after the British have rejected him. Yeah. So a lot of people will be like, oh, he's a fucking traitor. But it's like, you don't really understand sort of the, the way of the times. And I can, again, I can sort of relate to him because modern day special operations, there's a whole lot of guys who just are there because they love the job. Yeah. And if you were to trade... That's one one rule for another, they'd be like, all right, so 
where can I go to continue doing the job? How many people end up contracting after? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Also, he was probably hedging his bets. I mean, if you really thought the the revolution was going to be won by us compared to, you know, the British, you know, the whole British Empire, yeah. you think we're going to win? Yeah. He was probably like, hey, I, I want to be on the right side of history or the surviving side. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was pretty fucked up by then. That's tough, yeah. The amount of the amount of drinking these guys did, dude. The rum, I didn't know rum existed like that. No, back then. I mean rum was like the most valuable thing on the frontier. Just gonna say, yeah. you, you can't pay someone with uh, metal coins out in the woods. No, like, these are heavy. Now I have to carry them. What do I do with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and I remember there was I forget who they were talking about, but like. They're like, this guy was distinctively known for drinking too much. And they even say, <laughs> in a time when drinking was excessive, they're like, how must, how bad must have been this man? <laughs> and you're yeah. like, yeah. dude, just a complete well, when, alcohol. When you're trying to go to sleep when it's 20 degrees below zero. <laughs> yeah, you got to be blacked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But even then, they were getting shit done. Yeah, you know what I mean. Again, yeah. like covering how? What'd you say, like fifty hell? miles a day? Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, Just I mean, I think he was walking. He, there, there the was woods. there, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but they were covering more ground than Lewis and Clark. Yeah, that was one of the things they said. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's yep. mind-boggling. War party. Yeah, yeah. And and they're carrying their gear. They were pretty well. They they were lightweight, right? But then another one of the the things that they were doing was every man carries gear for himself. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're gonna rely on everybody sharing this guy's you know i'm going to carry a pot and you're going to carry the water and this, like that doesn't work it's perfect that that question came up with the rifleman camp group somebody emailed and said hey i see on the packing list that you want us each to have a camp stove or jet boil mm-hmm. or, or some way of you know creating hot food right uh what a if reasonable I, what question if, yeah no, 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 no. It's a hundred percent a reasonable question because this is how backpackers do it. One person carries the fuel bottle, somebody carries the stove, one person carries the the nylon tent, somebody else carries the poles. And so he said, uh, you know, is it is it cool if between me and three other buddies we share a cooking system? I, was, I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do because this is, you know, you guys are my customers, but. Let's think about this in some sort of real life military type scenario. If one of you is killed or captured, mm-hmm. are the rest of you going to be able to eat if it's the temperatures around thirty degrees? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. you, you could still crunch through your dehydrated rations or put some cold water in them and wait six hours while it soaks in, and then eat them cold. But it sure is a nice uh, pick me up when you're out there and it's freezing cold to be able to boil some water and eat hot stew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, having having your own gear, in my opinion, is is key, and that's yeah. you know, that's what he was doing. So yeah. it only makes sense. And I mean, really, their packing lists were: what do you need to survive in the wilderness? Because they were going out there unsupported. That's the other thing that's fucking wild to me is if you think about the levels of support that modern day special operations have. Like, you don't see this in the you know the YouTube videos or the Instagram pictures, but. Everybody loves these pictures of um, like special operations on target, you know, and they're wearing their body armor and their helmets and carrying their cool guy guns. <laughs> what you don't see is the concentric circles around them of um, support and security, supply logistics, depot, everything. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. to where that's all they need to carry on themselves. So you don't have to go 
on target wearing or carrying everything you need to subsist for three weeks. Yeah. The idea of going out into the wilderness in extreme conditions with no fucking support, no, and there's no like, like there's no medical evacuation. You get a tomahawk wound to your upper arm, you may die of uh, hypothermia and or infection three days later as your teammates are dragging you south on a on a lodgepole. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's you know what I mean. That it's just fucking wild. Yeah, it's uh, it makes me wonder how much of this book in like this time period, like I said before, when we did with the old breed and I said, it was a springboard for more in the world war two. I feel like this is a lot. Like I said, I wish I read more of this time period before I read it because all of this stuff seems to go towards like woodsman's boy scouts, military. I mean, you name anything for survival navigation, that type of stuff. And it seems like, I mean, this is really, the four this is it's like the frontier yeah, yeah. but i well, mean the, this the is crossover. what the base of what all of this stuff is based off of in united states these old groups of outdoorsmen this has to be one of the first doctrine that has ever been applied to those groups of america those scouts eagle scouts boy scouts military yeah. army you yeah. name it it's interesting the parallels between hunting and military activity which i sort of poo-pooed but i I realized when Jordan and I went deer hunting this last fall that I was like, man, I could have described last weekend as we went deer hunting or I could describe it as we conducted a vehicle (laughs) infiltration of an enemy held valley (laughs) and then established a vehicle cache point from which we conducted medium range ambush and surveillance patrols. Hold superiority on the ridge top. Mm -hmm. It's it's literally no different. And I, I can tie deer hunting into a whole lot of military type training scenarios. I'm be a f- All right. My, we're not my, talking about that anymore. Hang on. I got ideas <laughs> on that. <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, nah, it, it is crazy. Just, um, might have to have like a training Northwest deer hunt or something in the fall. I mean, that'd be kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 Like a coordinated, coordinated uh we release a bunch of caged deer on the property <laughs> like a pheasant hunt <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about go over to like uh the area above chelan oh okay and easy do, like, do like easy a coordinated <laughs> oh that's yeah. Jo- <laughs> yeah we're not getting yeah. yeah thank god i so where you above, guys, where you, where you above guys want to elevation wise is dewey he certainly doesn't mean yeah. north <laughs> exit 17 <laughs> off of uh, um yeah, there's there's a uh, a lot of different things that he does throughout this book that uh, does tie into all those you know the hunting aspect obviously because they had to do that but you know there wasn't as much hunting they didn't talk about it and I think it was probably more because um, it was just known that that's what you're that's how you're living. I think it was easier yeah. to hunt too. Like. Uh, I know recently Rogan had, and I gave a shout out to Dan Flores mm-hmm. on oh, his dude, podcast. That, I've, I'm about an hour into that episode. It's really good. It's really good. Coyote and America. Coyote is, America. I was going to suggest that that go on our reading oh, list. Oh, it's, it's a great book. But even more so is American Serengeti. And oh, really? it was from trappers and people in this time period and before that came to in the Americas. And I mean, they're. 
there fighting grizzly bears in Florida. I mean, the buffalo oh, are everywhere. The elk are already on the... I mean, everything is everywhere. And so I, I thought about that too, that they don't really talk a lot about the animals they kill in hunting. But I think it was just such a part of natural life and the ability to constantly find wild game. But they're, they're, they're like, why ride most, a, so even in Even in camp in the wintertime... They're subsisting largely on salted pork and dried peas. Well, you're still yeah. wanna, if you if you don't have to hunt, you're not gonna hunt. And if you if you can bring your food with you, you're not making noise. You're not gunfire yeah. no, because I, they I get that on, on an operation you can't shoot a deer. I get yeah. that part. Yeah, but we have suppressors the part where they're where they're <laughs> I know right. The part <laughs> where they're in camp and still just eating this shit food that that was the one that kind of surprised me. I thought that in in the fort they would have. You know, canned vegetables or jarred vegetables. But what and you fresh think meat. is shit food, though? They were probably like, "What do we want? Fat and salt." Yeah, you know. Yeah. So salted pork is like that's a superfood. But doesn't it talk about how they yeah. all have like uh, intestinal cramps from like the bad nutrition? Bad nutrition, and I remember they drank a lot of water that was high in acidity. That didn't allow them to absorb iron and certain minerals, they said a oh, few And times. they were hammered drunk. <laughs> and the water had, yeah. <laughs> The whole time. Like, well, so, this pork's doing nothing for my body. Yeah, these guys were <laughs> like... The, the rum was also partly to sterilize their water. Probably. Okay. It wasn't just yeah. to get hammered. Like, yeah, yeah. Yes, of course. So is mine. Yeah, they're 20, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's so you don't give a shit. You got... Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it helped, but like... Come on, let's tomato be juice here. and Tabasco is to make the beer taste good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I. There, there has to be like at some point you would think that. that uh, I don't want to give them an excuse and say like, oh yeah, no, it was a medicinal, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was not medicinal rum. I mean, I'm it sure was they emotionally could've. medicinal. Yeah, I mean, they used it for so much, and it was such a big part of just being in the frontier. But here- I didn't think it would be rum. That's the thing that fucks me up. I thought it would be something rum's else. Because just made out of straight sugar. sugar it, probably, yeah. it probably was not what we think of as like, I don't know if there's such a thing as good rum. Rum's pretty disgusting. But sugar was probably widely available in the yes. Americas because it was coming out of the Dominican Republic. And Cuba, Cuba Havana. And Florida. Yeah, yep. exactly. That's why rum was one of the first drinks of the Americas, yes. Yep. That's why Bacardi's one of the oldest distillers. Ah, makes mm. sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, wow. just only because sugarcane was like Available. the cash crop in the Americas at that time. Here's something I think about all that drinking. It became is, bourbon as soon as they discovered corn, right? Yeah. They were like, oh, <laughs> what is that? Step up. <laughs> Holy God. shit, these Indians got it figured out. <laughs> we made whiskey. Now we need to invent I Coke. Need some, some maize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, something I think about. They didn't really like... I think maybe a few times they talked about one of those battles that was like an hour and a half of just intense fighting right away. It, it He talked about some of like the soldiers' eyes and their minds started to go, but they didn't really talk about like shell shock, thousand yard stare, PTSD. And that was something I kind of found interesting is talking about like a warrior being overworked or something and like guys losing it or having battle fatigue. But Everyone drank like a gallon of booze a day. So is that, I mean, they were just. Sound, sounds like the United States Army. Today. Is that, was that their way of dealing with it? Did you notice that at all? It wasn't something they really talked about. I mean, they're scalping Honestly, and killing yeah, I, people I left and right. I didn't think about it like that. I mean, I, th- I don't know that they thought of uh, Indians as even human. You know, I know that like Robert really like. Yeah, did, but remember. Did relate they, and like. 
Remember the one time we talked about like you wouldn't hear the musket balls flying because it wasn't like a modern bullet. So your buddy would stand up to fire and then the next thing you know, like blood would start leaching out of his face because a musket ball went through it. Like they were witnessing their friends to the left and the right of them getting killed. We've hit on this before. I think they also had a much closer relationship with death. Like if you're hunting daily and people in your family are, you know, annually dying of smallpox or 14 kids. Hey, I got a, I got a cut on my leg. Now I have gangrene. Now I'm dead. And you're eight. Yeah. Right. Like people had, yeah, people had eight kids because child mortality rates were like 50%. Yeah. If, if you lived to be 10 years, you had about a 50, 50 chance of living to be 12 years old. Yeah. I don't know. They just seem to, they seem to handle the killing better. And even at like one point, I remember when because I don't, we think of it as unnatural. We but uh, we in the Western world don't understand that death is just the natural end of the cycle, and we have yeah. But even we, to, you don't know how much time you have here. We don't know, but at some point we all have to die, and because we sort of whisk the dead away to a funeral home really quickly, and sort of, oh, don't let the kids see or don't you know just gotta, like we don't have any level of comfort with it. Whereas if it were part of your life, day in and day out. Yeah, it's just it's just part of the cycle, man. People live, yeah. people die. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't think they. And I then we take a scout about life. This yeah, but it's even yeah they're getting paid for you, it. At some point, you got to be like, this is kind of crazy. What there is a point in it when they were talking about battling and they hit an arduous part of winter and they're traversing, and they had almost no food, and the day before they had battled and they had scalped like seven Indians. And then they needed food, so they boiled their scalps, yeah, and they or, ate or, those scalps. Yeah. And, and the then Indian, they boiled the their belts. And eat the, uh, but it's like then they boiled their the own dead. belts, and they yeah. would boil their moccasins, and they would boil their powder horns just to get a broth. At some point, aren't you like, man, this is a little fucked? Yeah, but I mean, that's that's but just do, what do you do. You want to survive to tomorrow. Like yeah. I said, I'm glad yeah. that if I, they had to do as that, as much as we romanticize the old ways, yeah, I'm sure glad that I've got a double stuffed mattress <laughs> and a down comforter, yeah, and a tar shingled roof, oh, and a natural gas furnace. You know what I mean? Some yeah. badass buddies. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have no idea. I don't. I I think that their life we can't even put ourselves in. Right, like the the mindset, like we were trying to figure out, like I wonder how the Indians felt. Like it's like I, I don't know that we can look to the Europeans and even go, like, yeah, that's what were you thinking? Well, well yeah, because life was so hard. Like how, not it's not even comparable, yeah. like to what Again, what we have. What, today. what would it take for you to get on a boat and cross the ocean to another continent? With nothing, with like, that's okay, whatever yeah. you can fit in one box. That's what and I was saying about if Washington taxes life, life, were so bad. Life would have to be really bad for you to be willing to go to that length. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about it. How so many is people life- sitting here in Washington are like, one more fucking thing and I'm moving to Montana. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And we just, we haven't. Yeah. So, the and we're talking about work and stuff like that and ultimately that's what it was over there we're getting away from the king's taxes and all the other bullshit that happened but today and today as society we have it so good we and i i also think that we can develop relationships a lot easier than they could then right because if you yeah. weren't within a certain range of people you weren't you weren't oh uh, god damn it my kozak and his phone
my alarm. Uh, what time is it? <laughs> time to continue talking about the book. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't think that you could develop the same relationships or the relationships mattered to the same degree as we put, you know, my relationship with people are everything to me now. But I don't know that, like, it was like that back then. And maybe I'm wrong. But I like, don't know. I mean, I could even argue maybe relationships were more because you have. Tighter. I think yeah, because you have more. With that group. Because you have right? interdependency when on you're, one another. When you're moving a, amongst the, you know, so the Rangers, I bet, were super tight. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I, I bet when you were. Families, like, if you're living on a frontier plot, sometimes I wonder about this with my kids because they're growing up in a suburb and they don't have, like, our family doesn't struggle together. No. We don't. We don't have like a shared experience like exactly. That. Everyone like, has independent dude, the, struggles. The pantry is full. the The fridge. Mama went to Costco. Like you guys are not going to go hungry today. Like Dad's been like Jen's been out of town for three days on one of her adventures. Dad's in charge. It's kind of a fuck show, but <laughs> you're gonna make it. Yeah, because that, that's Mama the, went to Costco before she left. Yeah. You know what but I mean? you have independent. No, it's not like we need to get out and plow the field this morning because yeah. if we don't get it planted by the end of May, then we won't have vegetables in August, and then we won't make it through the winter. Well, what you mean? have struggle, but you have an independent struggle. You have yeah. to go through the struggle of you at work. Your kids yep. have to go through the struggle of them being at school and dealing with their classmates or the school. Your wife has to go with the struggle of her work and her friends. But if you all had one struggle, like the food you're saying, and it took a whole family to plow a field and make food and raise a cow... Yeah, you, you would have a group struggle. What do you think? I mean, that's what we talk about with jujitsu is like the the snuggle struggle, right? Like yeah. that's how you get close to people and like build, like know what people are about. But um, how do you, how would you want to manufacture that within your family? So I, I mean, is there is the, there the way, a way? My, my parents did it. Yeah, they bought ten acres of dirt farm in Omac when we were kids, and we had cattle, and we had horses, and we had chickens, and we had goats, and sheep. And we did it all ourselves. No, no, no hire in, in OMAC. It's not like you can hire outside help anyway. You just have to figure there's no home Depot. There's a little tiny true value hardware store and you make do with what you have. And so like I I was thinking about it uh, yesterday morning because kids slept in till eight o'clock and then, you know, here I am sitting on the couch, reading war on the run, drinking coffee. And it's like (laughs) when, when I was their age, my dad would have woken me up at seven and said, Hey, I need your help today. Yeah. And we would have gone out and done manual labor in the sun for, they, they usually would cut me loose about like two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So it wasn't like a, an eight hour day, but it was like a five or six hour day when I was 11 years old. Yeah. You ever think about telling them you're cooking dinner tonight? I should, except I like to eat well, and I'm a good cook. <laughs> well, that's that's, I don't, I don't that's the fucking struggle, brother. Peanut butter and <laughs> jelly sandwich. That's the struggle. <laughs> that's but I mean, the, just the just because that's what we did as a family. Like we didn't have a whole lot, but like as far as the struggle that we had, right? Um, but it was like, oh, you're cooking tonight. And it's like everybody's depending on you to yeah. fucking figure it out and not make. Because I don't care what anybody says. If you cook food for people, you instantly care. That's a good idea. That's actually a really good idea because Nathan, he's 11 and he's capable. Like I've taught him how to scramble an egg and whatnot. And Landon actually likes to cook. Like his thing is, he's like, when I grew up, I want to be a chef. And he likes to make stuff in the kitchen. Nice. So he'd actually probably get to be really good at it. He's only seven. Yeah. yeah. But he likes it. 
Yeah, but you you show them how to do this or, you know, kind of help them a little bit. And then pretty soon it's like, okay, what are we having? What do you want to make? Yeah. What's for dinner? (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that's, do you think that's something that makes for a stronger family today is trying to recreate those old world problems? Like, yes, like backpacking or hiking. Yeah. I've told Jen, like, but like, even with your family, like, okay, someone, we have to work sanitation. Someone does dishes and someone does garbage. We have to do food acquiry. Dad goes grocery shopping and he does, I don't know, little garden bed outside. Does that, you think, makes for a stronger family is trying to mimic the bonds of what it was back in the day? I think that would always be a mimicry or whatever that word Yeah, no, be. no, no. But I, I think, I without, think without that would... the dependency of if we don't get this done, we don't live through the winter, I don't think it counts. But, uh, but So it's just still... a false pretense then. You're yeah, just trying bit. to... But then... Although hunt, like hunting can be a bonding experience. Absolutely, oh, it 100% but, but, is. But in, in that, what I'm saying is... We will put the pressure on ourselves to the same degree, yeah. right? And that's why they didn't put pressure on themselves when they saw their buddy get killed. It's because they go, oh, well, you know, that happens. We're out here with guns trying to kill people. Um, so I, I it, it's like when you, I, I'm seeing sign languages for borrowing beer here. Um, <laughs> Wampum is being traded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, uh, if, if the worst thing in your life was you fell down and scraped your knee, that would be a level 10 for you. Mm -hmm. But if the worst thing in my life was I fell down and broke my leg, I think objectively everybody would go, well, breaking your legs worse. Mm -hmm. But, and so that's now 10 for me. So when I fall down and I scrape my knee, it's like, well, I didn't fucking break my leg. But your 10 is still falling down and scraping your knee. So even if we made that struggle today and we tried like creating a a space in which like we had those struggles, as long as we made it something that was hard. So it was like, oh, this is ridiculously hard. And how are we going to do it? Mm -hmm. I think you can still create those things that would be a 10 that we can't look back and compare it to like, oh, if we don't do this, we're not going to eat. But it's like, hey, guess what? We're walking to the fucking store today. Yeah. yeah. I, I think like, that's why the gym, everybody at the gym is really tight because practice is hard. Those rounds at the end are really fucking hard if you're, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I rolled with Marcus on Wednesday and I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the human like, muscle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> dude, it's like, it's like herpes. It just keeps coming at you. Yeah. <laughs> Flare ups constantly. Marcus, Marcus dude, is like herpes. He's, he's no matter what you do, he's just coming back he's at you. Giant he's muscle. there. He's giant muscle. Yeah. <laughs> Forget yeah, about it for it, a little while, but so, so I, I think that shared. There are ways. To, I think I'm actually contradicting myself now. I think you can manufacture shared struggle, absolutely. and it is effective. Absolutely, and I, it's, you can't compare yourself to that though. Like we're not going to have the same struggle as these guys. You can't compare, but if we're saying like a tough life makes a more uh, a life you're more humbled by a life that you are able to enjoy the smaller things by doing that. So is it a better life to try and, I mean, I'm going to agree with this, make those micro adversities, but also like, so is that a better lifestyle is trying to create a harder, easier lifestyle? 
I think, I think, and that's what we're trying to shoot for today with like a strong family structure. And this is like representing those tough, tough times, even though it's easier, the more we can be tough. Like those guys went through, they had bonding experiences. So how can I take this easy nuclear life and make it tough for everyone and bond us, but not destroy us? Yeah. And I think that's kind of what my parents did with that little, you know, farm is they just, I can remember my dad being like, all right, we just need to pick, we picked rocks by the thousands of pounds because my mom wanted a horse arena. Yeah. So to clear out, you know, 200 feet by 100 feet rectangular, we just got out there summer after summer. We'd back the flatbed trailer out there and just start anything bigger than a golf ball and we're putting it on. And some of them, dude, there was some where we'd start kind of digging around the edges and before you know it, you're pulling something like the size of a Volkswagen out with a tractor and trying to figure out what, like, Hang on a minute. What the fuck are we? What are we doing? <laughs> I got uh, this glacier boulder. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. And uh, that—that's just what we did. And the whole Patch- family went out there and got after it on Saturdays and Sundays, and it was pretty miserable. But we ended up with a pretty tight family. So, do you think because we don't have that struggle in our life and we artificial artificially produce it? Do you think we could ever get in the same mindset of these guys back in the day? Only if you had to. I don't think these but guys, that's, that's what I mean. Guys, these guys were looking back and thinking the same thing of their great grandparents. But I think they're their like, technology this isn't, this was isn't really this even. isn't struggle. But yeah, their technology was were pretty thinking, even. Thank God we're not peasants stuck in a hovel where we yeah. have no chance of ever doing anything. Yeah, for but ourselves. remember when we were so under the king's thumb, we couldn't even say something against him? Yeah, but the only thing that was a new invention in that time was the gun by maybe a couple hundred years. If you go a hundred years before them, life was pretty much the same. And a hundred years that before they them. they were doing it for themselves. So they, yeah. were, they were becoming landowners. And the idea was that their kids would then be landowners and they wouldn't be working the land for they had a, hope. Like a noble. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, you had no hope. Like... Generation after generation is just going to live in this hut and yeah, work that's the land. The king's well, you're deer. in a futile yeah. system, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You can't go hunt the deer because they belong to the they king. They own the, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think their struggle was different, but they're probably looking back on it going, how how lucky so, are we to be here exactly. right now? We're in our house on our property, So we'll then, go hunt a deer whenever the fuck we want. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting thing. So it's better to be free and yes. starving and do than to be a slave I, I, and so, maybe a little fat. Yeah, Mike, you're an entrepreneur, but maybe it's been... How long have you had your company? Like seven, eight years. Okay. So I can tell you, having started training Northwest a year ago, the days I work for me feels really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're... they're it's yeah. charging. Yeah, it exactly. It charges your batteries because yeah. you know you did it for yourself. Yes. And yeah. you, you got to choose what you did and how you did it. And the the outcome of the day is what you put into it. And it does, like, I'm losing money. Like, I lost my, my gross expenditures were greater than my uh, income in 2022 and probably will be again in 23. But I don't care because I'm, I'm building something that is mine. Yeah. And nobody else has their fingers in it. Or I guess, sorry. The government definitely has their fingers in it. <laughs> yeah, two of them. But yeah, yeah, and and maybe a, a third. There might be a third <laughs> one. Yeah, somewhere in the back. And uh, but to, to go out and just be like this, I'm my own boss. This is something I'm creating. Like it feels really good. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that's where it's like it gets tough on me thinking about this because it's like, okay, so these guys had a shit life living under a futile system of British government. And then they want to fight so hard and come out here and it'll make them do the craziest things and live this unbelievable lifestyle. But then once again, who are they? Aren't they fighting for the British? Those same people that repressed them in a way. I mean, they oh, yeah. see at, this at new this land. Point, they were as, still, it was, it was still very much. So the French and the Indians are not so much the French, but the Indians from the interior, like, is it God, I can't, the Abenakis and mm-hmm. the Algonquins or who I'm probably saying the wrong tribes, mm-hmm. but because the frontiers people were pushing or the settlers were pushing into these frontiers, into ancient tribal lands. Now the Indians were raiding them. And yeah. so again, if, if you're a settler on the front, you're not thinking about the macro level where you're like, Oh, I guess we are encroaching on their ancient tribe. You're like, yeah. these motherfuckers came to my neighbor's house yeah. and scalped his fucking seven year old child yeah. and raped his wife. Yeah. So the the British, even though they had escaped the king, they were still very much loyal to the British cause of establishing these colonies because this was the way. Yeah, God dang it, I'm kind of contradicting myself, but they were still they still yeah, identified no, themselves is, as British. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just they were colonials. They're yeah. colonials. And then they it yeah. seemed like I more mean, towards th- the end. There's there's gonna be a sense of belonging. To and they were definitely unhappy born. with the crown at this point. Yeah, it mentions it a few times. Yes. In there. Um, but they still saw it as a British versus French versus frontiersman versus uh, savage like yeah. confrontation. These were yeah. the Puritans too. I think the Puritans yes. are starting to take hold. <laughs> Jesuit. Yeah. So they they were looking at the Indians as these backward savages and like, oh, thank God we are here to show them the way. We need to we need to decimate their society so that we can, uh, yeah, cultivate this land yeah. properly. Teach them about missionary style. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No lights. <laughs> Turn the lights out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, like I said, it wasn't, to me, like I said, it wasn't the most eloquent of sentences and stuff and structure, but it was just every 10 pages, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. 10 it's, pages later, what the fuck? Yeah. It's just, I constantly found myself saying that. And how do these people live and how... How, I mean, if you asked any of us to go through what they went, remember when we we're talking about Peleliu and they're like, oh, you need 20 year olds. It's like, I feel like you need 14 year olds to do this and be like, why, why we did need they your need kids. Mike? <laughs> yeah. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. Gentlemen. Yeah. No, it's, it, it was just insane to see what these people went for, through. And durable. And that's something I always find yeah, myself. That's also why you died at like 43. Yeah. Cause yeah. Like, fuck, I'm just wore out. But that's what I, I always find myself saying, like, it's a common phrase you hear, but it's like, you kids have it so easy. And it's like, my generation was so much tougher. And it's like, we used to snowshoe 300 miles to fight yeah. the French. Yeah, then- but it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. My granddaddy fought in World War Two, And then he's like, oh, my parents had it so much harder. And it's like, yeah, we were just getting power. And then it's like, yeah, my grandparents had it just so much harder. And they're like, yeah, we're fighting the Civil War. And you go back every generation and it's like, are we even remotely attached to those people? If we went through like our apocalypse episode, is there any chance for us to be like these people of the past? Is, is there anything left in us? That spirit? I know we have to come back pretty quickly. I, yeah, yeah, I, I think it would. I think it's human nature. You guys survival are eating of the me first, boys. Let me <laughs> yeah. tell you. I think, uh, yeah. It's got a little marbling. <laughs> oh, I got but a lot it, of I marbling. I mean, if it doesn't, 
in in three generations are gonna go like my my granddaddy oh, had they're so soft <laughs> yeah, yeah he's gonna go like you believe that yeah. he couldn't even cut his dick off when he wanted to <laughs> yeah, that's right. he barely transitioned yeah. what a pussy you know what i mean literally <laughs> so, that's where we get canceled. yeah that's that's you know at this point like in three generations we will they'll be listening to this going oh, i can't believe they yeah. were allowed to put that on the internet they don't even list their pronouns yeah no could you be imagine someone's like my daddy talks so hard on a podcast <laughs> oh yeah yeah they didn't even yeah. holy shit they did it themselves can you believe that yeah <sighs> All right, um, can we take one more break? But I want before we do, I want to get back into. So I kind of felt like we went through his beginning, just talking about what badasses these guys are. But let's can we get a little bit into tactics and how yeah. I felt this carried over to no. modern war nope. and stuff like oh, that. Good night, you guys. I was in like Neanderthals. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll be back, and we're back. All right, where'd we leave off, Mike? I feel I feel like you're our den mother. Yeah. Done mother here. Scout master. Uh, <laughs> no? Nah, let's stick with dead mother. All right, dead mother. <laughs> Working towards scout master. Uh, I wanted to go towards, um, because this is kind of a field guide or an operations manual to current day rangers, as you say, I would like to talk a little bit about uh, tactical uh, strategics and even I would like to compare strategery, strategery, how we could use, because we read with the old breed, I would like to compare maybe how some of these tactics were used in the European front and how they could have been used or why they might not have worked in the Pacific theater. But I would like to start with the European front and so when we really see the Rangers used fucking goddamn neighbor in his leaf blower, dude, I swear to God, this guy behind us <laughs> drives me insane because he will, he will spend day after day after day, just pressure washing all day long. And when he's not pressure washing, he's leaf blowing. I'm like, bro, this is a suburb. How much, <laughs> how much yard do you really have? And how much leaf blowing and how much pressure washing can you really do in one spring? He hates yeah. moss. It's all no, day. It's all say. day every day. <laughs> Tell him to come over the, to my the, place. The amount, <laughs> the amount in which he's leaf blowing and pressure washing is proportional to how much he hates his wife. <laughs> yeah, 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 that yeah. might be it. Yeah, because you can, you can put on your muffs when you got the uh, what? Yeah, yeah. Huh? Sorry. yeah sorry. No, y'all yeah, be out here for a couple more hours. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is gonna do it? Yeah. <laughs> That might be exactly what's yeah. going on. No, he's there. thinking about that girl in high school that he should have <laughs> knocked up. I feel like to live in Mill Creek in one of these housing areas, you need a leaf blower and a pressure washer to be allowed admittance, like to buy a house here. Uh, maybe that's why they didn't. That's that's well. He maybe he's just trying to be a man, and that's like what he's what he's yeah, putting out there. He's like, be. look at my machinery. Look how much pressure washing. Yeah. I this can is do his war Saturday. on the run. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was 58 degrees and I was wet. You have no clue. Oh, how I was tough wet it from was. the knees down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Covered myself in bear fat. My Birkenstocks were soaked. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's right. I, I covered my Crocs in bear fat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the pizza man was 10 minutes late. <laughs> yeah. God. Okay. So tactically, strategy, strategy. 
Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask maybe what you because I felt like World War II, the first you really heard of the Rangers was the Airborne Division coming into France, right? That was really in World War II, the first uh, Rangers that they weren't airborne in World War II. They actually hit the beaches with the uh, amphibious assault force. I thought what was so the hundred first airborne and the eighty second airborne jumped into. Fortress Europa. Were they not a form of the Ranger no. Regiment? No. no so the, only Rangers landed on the beaches? Correct. But then they all got slaughtered, yes. right? Yeah. Except for maybe, I think, 2nd Ranger Battalion climbed the cliffs at Point du Hoc and then made it inland. Um, you had 1st Ranger Battalion was wiped out at Anzio prior to D-Day. And they had previously made the landings in North Africa as well. Which that, that, that alone, like, there's a, oh, I can't think of... I'll, while you guys are talking later, I'll Google the name of it. Oh, Army at Dawn. Army at Dawn is a great book about the North African campaign because it talks about how the American military was brand new because it had been right. Like the American military yeah. almost didn't exist between World War One and World War Two. They had disbanded everything between. And so they had raised this new army and then sent it off to North Africa. And they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. And so the North African campaign is the British and the Americans figuring it out against the Germans and there's a lot of hard lessons sort of uh, you know learned in blood and death uh, in North Africa that they then took a hardened battle force into Fortress Europa and in a lot of ways the African campaign was necessary for the officers and non-commissioned officers to learn how to fight before they went into the European theater really it's a great book so was any of the um the strategic idea of getting in behind and dropping paratroopers into France, was that just a normal traditional military act of getting... No, no of course and, not, because there were no airplanes prior to World War II, right? Right. You weren't so going to ride this around. Was, this was experimenting with a new tactic, and honestly, a mass tactical drop, which is the static line division level parachuting is all but dead at this point. Yeah. So... We did it a little bit in the war on terror, securing an airhead, and it still has a small possible tactical role for an invasion force securing an airhead. Like there's there's two ways you get into a country. You secure a beachhead, which is the Marines landing at Peleliu, or you secure an airhead, which is what one of the missions that the 75th Ranger Regiment retains, which is a parachute invasion onto an airfield like seizing an airport which i don't know i was thinking about this the other night it's fucking wild to think about the fact that like the, one of the prime missions of the 75th ranger regiment is to parachute into an airport and you're landing on tarmac like asphalt runways and you're securing like it's, it's just sort of a crazy concept of operation yeah like parachute onto an airport and secure it so that we can start landing aircraft on it yeah, fight your way from the airfield. Yeah, establish yeah. positions. They're, they're that, those are the two I mean, ways. When you're falling, though, because military, or I shouldn't say the two ways. Like you also have the like you have the traditional overland invasion, which is you know <laughs> the the tanks storming up through yeah. Kuwait into Iraq. Yeah. But then you have these other two sort of like wild ass, you know, storm the beach or storm the airfield, one or the other. So would you say that dropping in behind the lines and trying to 
form little bands and stuff was kind of a form of this type of guerrilla warfare. A little you bit. have little factions, but it seems more so that you have a huge presence. It's more of storming the land, even though you're dropping people in with parachutes. But it, but even like on a mass scale with a large, you know, divisional level force like the 101st Airborne Division, it's still to sow confusion and deny the enemy his rear areas. So yeah. when you have a front line you can focus on the fight on the front line and you have all your logistics and um, well, I guess medical is part of logistics, but you have this rear area which allows you to relax and then allows you to operate the front line. Mm-hmm. So special operations like Robert Rogers where they're sneaking into the, you know, into the French rear area or a, a parachute operation like D-Day where you drop the 101st behind the German lines, you're denying them that rear area in which to support the front effort. Okay. So it is, it, yeah, you're right. It is sort of a special operation. Well, wasn't, wasn't the, they kind of put the Rangers together to scout, right? In hmm. reconnaissance. So that's more original, or less what, the, the original name Ranger comes from this idea of ranging. quote unquote ranging. Yes which was to go out into the wilderness and range between two points. So you're ranging from whatever, from this village to this village, and you're just sort of checking. It's part reconnaissance, part movement to contact. You're essentially just taking the temperature of the frontier area mm-hmm. and see, are, do you find activity of enemy raiding uh, parties or yeah. do, you, do you know French fur trappers and just kind of seeing what's out there. So, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a reconnaissance mission, kind of a security mission kind of a movement to contact. Yeah, because at one point, Rogers gets, he, he joins up, he's he's 14, he's young, then he kind of establishes himself as somebody who can get the job done, yeah. and then he gets hired by the queen, right? Or was it the king that employs him to run a a, uh, a company? And they're like, this guy, he's good, and we're going to, we need him, right? So there was a point in there where they started using him as this, as such, right? And he he's developing not only what what has been done before, but he's he's making it his own. Yeah, and, and honestly, it's there was a point early in the war on terror, two thousand three, where me and Greg, our platoon, was up in this place called Berrycout, and we were doing exactly that, like the ranging mission, where it was the two thousand three equivalent, where we would put two squads on Humvees. And we would drive up through the Kunar Valley for a day or two. And then we would park the Humvees and one squad would stay there. And another squad would just take off up a ridgeline up into the Hindu Kush. Mm. And people have asked me to describe that mission. I would say, I'll say it was part reconnaissance, part movement to contact, part just outreach, like go make contact with these villages because they haven't seen white people since the Russians were here. (laughs) But literally it was a ranging mission. Yeah. It was a traditional ranging mission. Okay, so that answers, I guess, kind of my question for the European front. Um, And it wasn't quite what I thought that was entailing, uh, bringing this type of fighting. But I guess let's tie it back into Peleliu. Um, If you look at... Japanese strategics, strategery, stuff like that. Um, Strategery. Strategery. Uh, I mean, what was that movie? 
Oh, I can't say that. That'll get us canceled. What was that movie with... Um, Tora, Tora, Tora. No, Tora, Tora, Tora was a good a great one. movie. That's a good movie. Um, but it was about... Um, it was Tom Cruise and he went to Japan, The Last Samurai. Oh, the last samurai yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Right? You were going to say the, the Paul Mooney thing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I can't say that. That'll get us canceled. Tom uh, Tom Cruise, not Tom Hanks. Tom Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, you guys just Google Dave Chappelle show uh, Last Samurai and see what you come up with. It's yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that, but that's fantastic. But, I mean, uh, some of that was true. If you look at Japan Rising, like in the... Like the 17, 1800s, even into the 1600s, Japan really became a global society. And one of the reasons they fought World War II and thought they could do what they did is because they took everything in. They took technology. They took in gasoline. They took in products. They took in steel. They did all this stuff. And they were very aware of American culture and American fighters and Americans fighting or the British coming to the Americas and fighting. And um, this type of guerrilla warfare that you see in this book currently here that we read is a doctrine in our own United States type of fighting, this guerrilla warfare, this brutalistic battle. Um, I feel that you see the Japanese of World War II when they really start to fortify they adopt this type of warfare, which is from our own doctrine, and we didn't even realize it. Once I read this book, I realized the parallels of night fighting and night raids and why the Japanese moved at night, why they carried little swords to be quiet instead of firing a gun. I almost wonder if the the space was too... Re- like, I kind of have to eat my own words because I was I was talking shit on american tactics where it's like all right we just got to hit the island and march online but when you're that limited in square footage and acreage and mm-hmm. the enemy is there's that many like what else do you do yeah although at the same time it's like all right why do you put infantry on the island i don't like as as a defender i get it but as an attacker it's like you're just gonna it's gonna get everybody killed well, but i don't know how else you'd go about it other than by firing all your ship guns but that's what i mean your, your air raids and whatever is not left has to be dug out brutally you that, know tooth yes. and claw yes or tooth and nail because by your infantrymen. you look at those like when they went to okinawa i think they said do their ships they had an armada of ships around okinawa and they bombed it for three months with planes and ships and they're like no one's alive let's go and then what do you know there's like twenty thousand people still alive you ever try to get moles out of your yard yeah but that's what i mean they (laughs) dug in so but isn't that the style of rogers isn't that it to hide to move at night to be unseen i I don't know that applies to island fighting because i I don't think they literally just dig in your defenses and then slam your infantry into them but they would move at night everything they they would move at night and they'd come out and and try and try oh, and I see kill. when they would come try to like sneak into the lines all the fog. even yeah, though they were yeah, even though they were yeah, dug in no, their tactics were that, that was of absolutely this exact yes. book yeah. guerrilla tactics so it, or, uh, it makes it, it was indian tactics is what it was that's what makes me think it's like something that was developed in our own history was used against us in a battle i mean the japanese are very observant of your enemy 
And I do think in this time period, like I said, they were very aware of Western culture and our tactics. And I wonder if they read these books because this stuff is straight out of Peleliu, man. For those attacks, night raids, for moving on your enemy, superior lack of food, but making it work. I mean, I felt like this was the Japanese in America almost. Yeah, I don't know. To, to me, the Japanese were more traditional infantry. It's, it's hard for me to even picture not doing this, though. And maybe that's because I was never part of a military. Well, it's like common sense, dude. Yeah, well, yeah that's but what I mean. I mean. Like that, even that's why, I mean, that's why we ate the British regulars' lunch when they invaded in, what, 1775? Or, you know, you think about Paul Revere's Midnight Run. The, mm-hmm. the British are coming. The Brit- Was that 76 or 75? Oh, oh boy. 76 is when reformed, so maybe 75. Well, 76 was Declaration of Independence, Independence, right? right. Yeah, I think the war had started a year or two previous. Yeah. Okay. Now we're we're showing our ass here. Mm. But (laughs) either way, it was like at first we tried to stand up to the British, I think, at Concord. Again, showing my my lack of knowledge. knowledge. And, And we got our ass handed to us. And it was as the British marched inland that the the militiamen realized, hey, hide behind the trees and snipe at them because well, they're just walking down a road. Yeah, let's let's. Yeah. And that that was where it became like, oh shit, we need to use these Indian hit and run tactics against a conventional force, and you harass them. And again, now we're going to Sun Tzu's. Like when the enemy is strong, fade away. So you 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 harass and sort of deny them a safe area. And that's really where guerrilla tactics are strong is a conventional force needs they supply need, chains. Yeah, exactly. They need, they they need, need these the logistical chains you. and they need to have these sort of Roots. areas through which they can move all this material and men and supply and service. And the true strength of a guerrilla uh, warrior is to attack that supply line Yeah, and to deny the, you know, this, this juggernaut force of conventional soldiers deny them their their umbilical cord well yeah. it's, it's what everybody can like everybody's seen the patriot right so Great documentary yeah a hundred percent but that's that's more or less what ends up happening yeah so it's it's I, one i have guy. a feeling i'm gonna be renting that tonight after the boys go to bed <laughs> yeah. smoking a joint pulling out my grand's force brook tomahawk <laughs> get naked in the living room <laughs> yeah where's my bear grease <laughs> you guys want to spend the night <laughs> Brain check. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that's that's more or less what ends up happening, yeah? Like, he he uses those kind of tactics on supply lines. He, yeah. he he moves around. He's blending in with the forest. He's doing all those things. And that's, I think, what... That, I mean, I'm a layman when it comes to any of this stuff. So that's what I started thinking about the whole time. And obviously, yeah, the, that the took The French place were after. using Indian raiding parties. But, uh, these people called Matisse, who were half French, half Indian, like the fur trappers had bred with Indian women, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Wasn't the other yeah. way around? Uh, no, they didn't, they didn't let I the Indians breed with the... I don't think I don't think there were too many female fur trappers. <laughs> I think there's the, a lot uh, of fur on both the trapper <laughs> and the woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was just gonna say. I, I think oh, you would look like a hairless wonder yeah. compared to some of these people. But uh, <laughs> You're a 13-year-old girl, Jordan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it. He's got, he's, got a, he's got a beard like a ten-year-old chick. Yeah. Um, History repeats itself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. But so the French were using these raiding 
these warlike people as as frontier raiders, and that was how they were fighting the French Indian War against British colonies. So this was the British way of hitting back on their own terms, like take it take it to the Indians, take it to the French in the same style at which they're bringing it to us. I think these tactics, though, kind of they could develop themselves slightly, you know, because if you're if we're over in Europe in these times. You can't go anywhere without seeing people, right? Like population density was was pretty high, right? I, I'd assume. At, so when wait, you're hang on in 1750s, yeah. Well, in in Europe. Oh, in Europe, yes. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. yeah so it was so all, the population, yeah. And so, you, so you're and not you're not sneaking around the woods too good. I mean, not, sure you are, well, but if you get caught, you're in the king's but, woods. Yeah, you but might get executed. When you have a military force, it's just like here's my people versus your people. You march to the so, battlefield, line yeah. up. It was like a gentleman's. It was it was, it was this a is duel. how well, it was a and this is duel. how lowly they thought of peasants and serfs. Is it was a gentleman's game. Yeah, well, to where it, up. it was agreed that officers don't fire upon officers. The enlisted men fire at the enlisted men, and we leave the officers alone. And it's literally a fucking game between the nobles to line up their peasants and have them slaughter each other. And yeah, that's how life we would, chest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but isn't that the same thing I'm saying about like? And Pel- that's why they had yes, such a problem. It, it with, is. They got online but, and Pelulu, yeah. and they walked through. But and they had a big yeah. problem with the continental fighters because they're like they're tar- They are intentionally targeting officers. Yeah. Oh my god! But like, that's, I'm clutching my pearls. That's because what I mean. Going to shoot at the officers but that's what i mean like you look at so much of war throughout history and like two legions would meet in a field and they would go to battle or you look at the british and the americans and they would stand in their regiments and they would fire at each other right but what made these guys more effective is that they're adapting these battle things that are considered demoralizing by most fighters Oh, this guy hid but behind a tree instead of standing up. Oh, look at the Japanese. No, you're, you're right. In he World faked War II, not death. just Pele Lu. World War Two, all of it. It was sort of like a last, last, last gasp. Yeah. Of yes. Of gentleman warfare. Yes. Where the officers are in the back directing the enlisted men, and you fast forward to global war on terror, and it's being fought at the ground level by enlisted men, planned and you know, planned and executed. By the lowest levels of fighter. Yeah. But, I mean, you look at what, what was Rogers. What was his rank? He was high. Yeah, no, he, he that's why and he's he considered the godfather of yeah. small unit tactics is because he realized that it was not for an officer and a gentleman to stand in the rear. It, it, an effective leader fights at the front of the column yes. and then <clears throat> stays at the rear of the retreat column with the wounded and, yeah. you know, to the bitter end. So he's... He's first in, last out. Yeah, to me, so much of this stuff is about like morality and more and troop morale. And these these guys would fight for him. It's referenced in the book. Like, but yeah, I mean, not only morality of like the group, but like um, just I guess maybe honor is the word I meant to say is like chivalry yeah, and that type of stand stu- here this, yeah. and let me shoot at you yeah. while I try and shoot at you. Yeah, I I agree. And but that's what I was trying to get to about. The, the population density, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, we're meeting on this field and we're going to fight. And is it, are we doing that? Because if we go anywhere else, we're going to be shooting townsfolk? Are we going to be shooting mm. like our, our people who aren't the women and children? And then when you get to this, like the, the, taxes, the, the tactics that they used seem to me like it only makes sense if you have 20 people 
200 people. Uh, you know. I, I just don't think the old world had figured out the, you know, not since I think the, the Romans w- conquered Western Europe and had there been sort of old world... Ta- and then even then, there wouldn't have been a whole... Uh, I guess they would have had bowmen, but the, the not new- by large numbers. And so it was the new world where just, I guess, the space in the wilderness had allowed for adap- <coughs> Excuse me. I think it was probably adaptation taken Adaptation of these hit-and-run tactics. I think it was taken from hunting. Yeah, I yeah, think exactly. they were They were just like, hey, guess what? Deer I, in the forest. You know what else I kill? is yeah. deer. And now I'm going to do the same settlers, thing deer and, and settlers. kill you. Yeah. I think it was yeah. taken yeah. from hunting, but also, like, as our people were coming out of, like, the Stone Ages in a way, I think there was so much of an emphasis put on, like, morality and be proper and like, what was everything? Oh, treat the king with respect, and you don't want to say a slanderous thing towards this person. Yeah. And I think it was in a time where we were coming up from such dark ages, and we wanted to act like we were um, noble, or we had, you know, that what our wars are today, or what our wars were in that day, were better than what they were in the past. So therefore, we need to designate ourselves with dignity and respect. And maybe dignity and respect didn't win the war, but at least we're morally on top. Whereas you have Rogers being like, I don't care about morality. I want to win this war for this territory. Well, I you know, think a lot of the European like style of warfare came from, again, this idea of nobility. And all of the nobles were sort of interbred. You know what I mean? Like they're all cousins, whether it's the king of France or the king of Prussia, the queen of England. They're all first and second cousins. And they're all sort of looking to do the noble thing. Exactly. So they don't actually (laughs) want to kill each other. Yeah. Yeah. They, They want to settle their disputes. Yeah. Without hurting each other. But to them, the peasants are nothing. So why not? It's good sport to go have them fight for blood. There, There was a different honor and nobility i think that was uh associated with the indians and like these style the the guerrilla tactics or whatever of the frontier when it came to like how the indians fought I don't, because there was uh, a point well, and then these, these there was a point these savages from the woods they kill our officers and cut off the and then the dumb enlisted men don't know what to do because they don't have the direction of an of a cultured officer and yeah. so it was an effective way to beat them but there was there was a uh, respect a certain respect given to the people you were killing at some point, right? Like they're in in this. They they talk about a guy who was hung, mm-hmm. and he I think he was scalped, hung, and uh, excuse me, um, I think they gutted him, Jesus. and then they they left a mirror in front of them, so he could see, so he could see himself, and like mm-hmm. I think part of it was like, is this was it psychological it, it, well, warfare? But yeah. was it was it a respectful thing to do, or was it a fucked up thing to do because people reference like oh well was it it was done so the person could watch himself die nobly no so the people that found him would would know fear i think also i thought it's to fuck his spirit over but i thought it was like so he could see himself die like good He'll see himself die, but then his spirit will watch the agony of which his body was. Is that what that not, represents? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's supposed to be, because that's not the only, God damn it, what's the book on the fur trapper? Um, fuck. Tom I'll, something. I'll add it to our reading list. I'll send you it. But just so many times Indians would, um, 
without knowing what um, crucifixion was, they would do it to people all the time. And you would have objects left in front of them, their own personal belongings, things like that, a mirror to represent and for them to look into their soul or Just their soul to see to what a the pussy well. they were. Yeah. There was so wow. much more involved besides, you know, the war itself. Like so it was, it was to, it. W- okay, so then that's different than what I thought. I thought no. they were basically like, hey, I'm going to give you the last little bit of dignity so you can watch yourself die. It wasn't a dignity. Everything seemed to be like because more right. brutal. Here's something as I, brutal as I can make it. Asian yeah. cultures. Yeah. I was just gonna say, and I believe so. This is a little bit um, controversial, but with the Tartaria narrative, or even <laughs> even with the Graham Hancock, uh, Randall Carlson narrative, that human beings were in North America well, well before the established 130,000 years ago. There's. Um, the idea that it's Mongol culture yep. came from North America. So the in, like, I don't know that their DNA is necessarily descended from one another, but their culture. It's a maybe. Hapli- what's it called haplotypes. Those DNA markers and stuff. Yeah, Mongols, Japanese, Native Americans. Yeah, so yep. they share, and again, you saw it with the Japanese in World War II. They share this sort of brutal idea or attitude toward prisoners and uh, enemy combatants. Well, I was going to say there's only one group and it's Asian culture that seems in war to put the penis of the enemy in In his own mouth. mouth. And it's Mongols, it's Apaches, the Native Americans, and it's Japanese, Viet Cong. It's only Asian culture, it seems. You imagine? They got Get that, your dick in your mouth. It's yeah, that micro penis envy. I need to is. start stretching yeah. my yeah. mouth. If we're gonna fight the Chinese, <laughs> Jesus. this is what's coming, boys. Uh, shit. So they got that small dick energy. They're envious. Uh, oh, yeah. Gonna end up looking like the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, kidding. Shit. It's tiny. Yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, it was. That was dark. But I mean, all this stuff is dark, dark night or dark guy. Yeah, Yeah, but all this stuff is brutal. I mean, just it is insane when we complain about like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like people that are feel they're born in a wrong body and we want to complain about gender or we want to complain about this or we want to complain about. I'm not being properly paid. And it's like, you look at what these guys went through to try and shape the world that you live in. If you think gender is a problem, if you think pay gap is a problem, if you think, I mean, I could see it with rights, but I mean, just life was so brutal. Look at, look at what they got. Like, look at the upside though. They had so much upside. Cholera. Yeah, all your friends dying. No, no, no. I mean, look, they, they, they're at the point of this this precipice of like, we found this new world. We are now trying to inhabit it, and we have we are gone. We invaded. We're in. We're setting up colonies. We're pushing the frontier further west. Like all those things are happening. How how much would you want to be a part of that if that shit was going on right now? I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. part of your you sen- would be Your like, sense of adventure would want... Well, like, would okay. be through the roof. But again, yeah. yeah, to go be a fur trapper and like explore through the woods would be adventurous. These frontiersmen who just literally went and hacked out a clearing with hand axes and then plowed it with an ox and a, a wood, you know what I mean? Like a wood plow. Yeah. That's just... 
brutally I'm not hard saying, work. Day I'm not saying after it's not, but I'm I'm saying the the. Oh no, I get it. Because what do I do on on my days off? I'm out at our 30 acre river property, cutting up slash and throwing it in burn piles. And but yeah. at the same time, at the, the upside end of the day, you had. Or could, be, before I go there, I stop at the. I meet you guys at the Buzz Inn for a, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. for an omelet and some yeah. some hash browns. Yeah, and then at the end of the day, I grab a beer on the way home. Yeah, I mean these guys are getting stuff in town before they leave. You're right. Salt and so well, they're they're salt, salt and, and extra accents so they can dry their dry yeah. their deer jerky. Do you yeah. think people ever talk shit about these guys? I know they're. We said earlier they're kind of like heroes and legends, but do you think people are ever like these guys are just creating like, like we're just saying. Like, do you think it's had woke s- back in seventeen fifty two? No, not woke, Is but a sen- sense of adventure. Like, what would be adventure today? Like, we're talking about going to Mars. So the people yeah. are that are like, I'm gonna go colonize oh, yeah. Mars. Am I? I'm, I'm gonna be an adventurer. Yeah. yeah, and people are like, dude, you're retarded for that. Do you think people back in the day were like, what are you doing fighting these Indians and the French? Yeah. You're out of your mind. Yeah. Why what are, are you, you sailing across the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah. I, you, uh, who knows? I, yeah. I'm sure there was talk of what the new world held yeah. in, in the promises of like this. If we get yeah. this free land, land it's, riches, it, a chance it's to be your gold. own your own man. Yeah. yeah, you can you can get away from the the. Pressures of the king, you, and I'm sure that was a thing. I, before it, people even started sailing, they got to go. I'm putting an ocean between me and this. Yeah, I'm going to have a little bit more freedom. Yeah, out even there. if he has magistrates on yeah. that side of the ocean. Yeah, it's not going to be it, the same. It can't be as controlling. Yeah, we're yeah. getting so far away. Um, so at that point, you know, different area code. Let it go. <laughs> uh, you know, but <laughs> so stupid. The, yeah, I love it. Oh my god. Uh, but, I haven't heard that in 20 years. <laughs> right. Uh, th- there's got to be that, right? So yeah. I, what I'm curious about is how many people got here and just said, fuck it, and disappeared in the woods and just, like, lived off the land and oh, yeah. did that without yeah. without a story be, being written about It would be undocumented. Yeah, yeah. They would just, and they just went off, and yeah. they were like, "This." how many people got here and just said, I'm going well, for fuck. it? How, well, how many people have just sort of gone into... The su- or not the suburbs, but like the cities in an RV or a tent and just sort of walked away from their family life. And that's the number yeah. is completely undocumented. Yeah. We have no idea. That's on just I- gone into the drug camps and they're just existing yeah. in there until they OD and die or and disappear. That's something I think about like what you said is because uh, you look at these time periods and the settling of the West and it's you see so many people taken by Native Americans and the people are then not caught, but they're reapprehended or they're brought back into civil civilization. And they're mad and these, about it. And these people run back into the woods, but you barely have, you have zero almost accounts of Indians being brought into modern day Western society. Well, you acclimating. do, but only because they became drunks. And so they would live just outside yeah. Wait, the, the settlements. the Indians or the... The Indians, yeah. The Indians. So, so there would be little camps of Indians who were drunks outside the forts mm-hmm. because they knew because they didn't have like their culture didn't make alcohol. Fire. So as they became addicted to alcohol, they would move closer to the forts and yeah. sort of begin to not quite assimilate, but they'd just be li- drunks. Live, live closer yeah. to yeah. the Europeans in order to secure yeah. rum. But you would yeah. see tons of white people get captured by Indians, yeah, you'd also see and the they opposite. would go back into Indian lifestyle, whereas. Maybe Indians were captured by white people, and then they went back to Indian culture, and they barely 
ever came, came back, back to white people culture. That was one of my favorite part. Uh, and, and he ended up coming back, but John Stark in this, and he he got mm-hmm. captured by the Indians, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they he had to go through the gauntlet, and they like beat yeah, the shit out of fuck him, out yeah. of him. But he was also talking shit yeah. the whole time, yeah. Right, and was like both of them you, were, yeah, were they? Yeah. yeah. So you know they all went through that, and uh, when he did that, and then I think they had him start working. Yeah, and I forget exactly what it was that he was doing, but he was like, "This is this is women's work." Yeah, like I am done with this. Crap. Like, <laughs> dropping firewood. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's for the squaws. Yeah, this is. That sounds like Tyler. Yeah, <laughs> dropping firewoods, women's work. Yeah, I'm like, is, it's so is, hard. Yeah, this is bitch work. I'm <laughs> yeah. out of here. And then they were like, "All right, bud. Like he's one of us. Like, and they had respect for him after that. Yeah. You know? So, I, it, it's interesting how what you were saying earlier about like he killed my father. Yeah. So how do we, you know? What Maybe. makes this right? Yeah, and and, and it's kind of like to what you said earlier too about uh, part of uh, uh, Last Samurai, right? Where he yeah. gets he gets captured and he's fucking just going to town on these guys. Yeah, you know, and they're like, "This guy's a warrior." Yeah, we respect you for that. Yeah. So when they captured him and brought him through, he made it through the gauntlet yeah. and lived. And then they had him like start working in his camp or their camp, their uh, village and stuff, yeah. and. Um, then they kind of like promoted him and were like, Hey, no, you're one of us. And they allowed that to be the case. Like that's, that's pretty fucking gnarly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, how do you relate to that in life now? Like, is there, is there a, a situation where like you get in a fight with somebody and captured by the Taliban, taken out into the mountains and then live with them and Oof. be made to be like, Oh, I kind of see where you guys, how you guys live. Yeah. I mean, I think John Stark made it out of there, and then yeah, because yeah, he came back and fought. He came back and fought, right? British Army. But it's just like to be able to live with them and see what that's like. And then well, be what's that called? If like, you, what's it called when you live with your captive, captive, oh, captured uh, Stockholm syndrome? Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. You know, it makes you wonder if there's any of that going on, or if it's just a different type of lifestyle that grabs. And you know what Stockholm syndrome is? Yeah, okay. yeah, but th- that's what I'm trying to say. Like. Stockholm is more sympathy for their cause, not so much just like their right. But you lifestyle. just start to identify with your capture and yeah. capture and you, you captor. know, captor, yeah. and you give them, you know, you feel what they're doing maybe isn't as bad as it is. I thought Buffalo Bill was fucked up the whole time. <laughs> you put, put the, the lotion, lotion on, on the skin. skin. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never really got along with that guy. Yeah, Stockholm. He man. was a fun cellmate. Let me tell you. Yeah, I don't know. I I think that uh, there's there's parallels in so many different stories of that being the case. I don't think it's Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, I think it's just like, and maybe it's like, thank God they let me live. Yeah. So I I can appreciate the the yeah, yeah. the way they're living. But when they when the tribes weren't at war with forgiving. each other, it might have been like. You got to think if you're living amongst, let's say you're on the plains and you're living amongst buffalo herds of plenty to where it's like, you know what, this week, Monday, let's go shoot a buffalo. We'll be good for the week. We've got a little bit of corn and squash growing out back. And we'll just spend the rest of the week kind of hanging out with the family and doing whatever. Like you might, it might have been a very relaxed, sort of easygoing lifestyle. Well, that was my argument for the apocalypse coming home on the road. 
You know, it's good for the first two days, but after the Twinkie truck and the Frito-Lay truck and the beer truck and the water truck and all those get raided, well, now the roads are dangerous. Yeah. Maybe, you know. But I think you'll see a spike in violence, and then you'll see it, it once the population levels back out, and you go, oh, it's kind of kind of nice again. Kind of good. You yeah. Know? There's there's not people. I don't necessarily have to worry about things. I, if I have my supplies, I I can work. I can move about a little bit more and kind of try and find. Yeah. I mean, around supplies. everywhere you drive around here, they're throwing in townhouses and condos. Yeah, and everywhere I, I'm like, God damn it, <laughs> that's fifty more cars that are going to be at yeah. the stoplight trying to get to the freeway in the morning. Can you fucking assholes go back to California? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay. Salted pork and ginger, fellas. Yeah, that's, that's all you that's need to we'll survive through. the world. We'll apparently, I've planted all the wrong things. Out <laughs> <back>. <laughs> you get some ginger plants going. Oh. So towards the later part of his life, this is this is what shit starts getting dicey because yeah. he starts drinking. Obviously, he's been drinking the whole time, but like that really takes a hold of him. Mm-hmm. And then he he goes and he's like, you know, I'm kind of a piece of shit, and I'm I'm. He gets divorced. I'm, yeah, he gets divorced. He goes. What was his wife's name? Gertrude or Bethel or Erthel or Ber- Bertha? I have. No it was idea. one of those like classic names. Yeah. There's a picture of her in here. Hang on. Uh oh. What she look like? A rock. So, yeah, <laughs> <a painting. laughs> what is that? Some yeah. moss on a log. Why is it sticky? Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth Brown Rogers. Elizabeth. You what guys, a dumbass you name. You guys are so close. <laughs> I thought it was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Um. Berthy? Bithy? No. I, I thought he called her something else in those letters. Well, isn't, uh, and that was the funny thing. You like you read those like my dearest Elizabeth. <laughs> my <laughs> body could only want consumption with you. <laughs> You're like, what does that mean? I so, thought is he talking about sex or yeah. yeah. That consumption with sickness. Yeah, I'm getting <laughs> drunk with the boys and thinking about some weird shit out here. <laughs> I bestowed to you upon my heart. I'm rubbing myself down with bear grease. <laughs> thinking about you. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. Like, no, we Jordan. deterred you. No, no, no. I, I don't. My, my one track mind is uh, not such. Uh, it was sad in his later years. He got divorced. He was a drunk. Well, and he tried to go get money from the king. The, the king, king goes, yeah. Oh, guess what? There's a jail cell for you. Yeah. And, you know, ends we, we up got, going to we jail. got our value out of you. Yeah. And Which they just reminds me of, like I said, man, the parallel to modern day soldiers who, after 20 years, get I out with we TBI. I and hose for a second. Oh, yeah. No, used no, and no, abused. No. Yeah. yeah. Used and abused and uh, send them to the VA for some uh, psychotropic drugs that'll put them on the couch drooling on themselves until they die because we've got our usage out of them. Yeah. yeah. Which we yeah. just cut, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it, I mean, for a guy that it did so much, it was kind of a... Uh, it's a tragic end. Yeah, kind of a fallen hero type ending. Yeah. When are we going to get those fucking Disney endings that I've been looking for? Because <laughs> these last books, this you guys, have like, <laughs> just nothing but heartache. Yeah, Eugene Sledge got the good ending. He just went home. He yeah. went home, he became a, do- or a professor, Had a and family. taught at a college. But maybe that's not life. Like, you, like I was saying earlier, like, this guy was a hero, but, like... He thought he was having the best time ever, but maybe his soldiers following him were like, this is crazy. I'm eating Indian scalps and salted pork, and I'm sleeping on snowbanks night after night. I've never been warm in the last three months. And so it's like, well, maybe to create people like this in culture or to change the way the world happens is this guy that we just read about was a crazy, absolute asshole. 
he probably if we were friend if he was here today we probably wouldn't be friends with him i don't think so because he would be egotistical I, I talks, maniac no, I, I think it it mentions his charisma and that's part of the way again there was high le- or there was high levels of desertion mm-hmm. and guys would just walk away so if you were not a charismatic leader there's no yeah. chance that you would ever you know form like again people weren't enlisting into the army and then being assigned to his company he had to go out and, and visit and yeah recruit recruit, yeah. recruit people yeah. into his company and he was extremely good at it yeah and if he were not good at um performing his duties during the missions then they all would have just been like all right when they got back been like all right fuck this guy he doesn't know what he's doing we're out of here yeah so but I, he I think he had to be really season. good at conducting his operations and i think he had to be highly charismatic to do what he did yeah but just because you're good at what you do doesn't mean you get along with people. Oh, good. being good, good, at, good at leading a raiding party into uh, yeah. northern New York does not mean that you're good at functioning back in gentrified society. Yeah. And that that's exactly to my point of soldiers coming home from Afghanistan and guys who are amazing in a gunfight in Fallujah or yeah. Iraq. And it's like they, they don't fit in in the suburbs. Yeah. They find themselves start missing. Exactly. Now uh, now they're taking pills and drinking whiskey. And that's and what eventually they realize that they don't fit this society and that's why they put a pistol in their mouth. And that's what I'm trying to get like towards here at the end. Like this guy who led this crazy life, the reason he tore I mean, he was abused by the British government and stuff or used it seems like, but also maybe just to everything that he went through, like that's fallen apart at the end. He felt used, he felt, you know, not disenfranchised. Yeah, it I was mean, he, not being reimbursed. That's a tough one. Not like I I gave everything myself, yeah. my blood, my For sweat, you. my tears, and my money. Yeah, and now I can't even get that back. Yeah, um, that's that's harsh. So it's easy to see how he could end up being somewhat of a turncoat. Yeah, you know, and it's easy to see how. Uh, he would start making these decisions that would, you know, lead him down, you know, kind of dark paths. Yeah. Um, granted, I mean, I'm sure he was a crazy fuck the whole time. <laughs> yeah. You know, because uh, it it takes somebody a little bit uh, out of the ordinary to do out of the ordinary shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a cool character to read about. Yeah. Um, I do wish I had more reference to the time um, more so than just the Patriot uh, real quick on that in the Patriot <laughs> Mel Gibson, didn't they say he was like, he was big in fighting with the French and Indian war. Was he supposed to Fort be correlated Wilderness. with any of this? I, I think, or? I think it, I think it happened after the fact. Yeah. And I think it was a situation of like, he pulls out a tomahawk when yeah. he's, when it's time to get down. Yeah. Like he, he goes to his, his roots roots and i yeah. think he like looks pulls up all that stuff because that's why all of a sudden he starts hiding behind things yeah and they yeah, really yeah, kind of yeah. show like a uh a indian style tactic even um, in the beginning of the movie i thought they said open to having with the slaves and stuff like yeah. that he's like no these are you you're free on my land kind of thing like but so he's he's being he's it's kind of showing like i would imagine his thoughts with the indians were similar you know yeah. and he so he has like Indian tomahawk and he's doing all these different fighting tactics like that. So I, I think 
he would have been a ranger of that time. Of that time, yeah. and that's just how I think about it. I'm yeah, absolutely. So it, it does based say on that uh, the Battle of the Wilderness. So there's a Battle of the Wilderness that happened in the Civil War, mm-hmm. but then, or excuse me, no, that would uh, have been. But there, so there's there's both a Battle of the Wilderness in the War, or sorry, Jesus, I'm getting these all mixed up. The French Indian War, which is Robert Rogers. Um, there is also a battle of the wilderness during the American civil war, which would have come afterwards. Right. So it's a little bit confusing. So I think that in the Patriot, when they're talking about Fort wilderness, they're talking about the war or th- about the French and Indian war. Yeah. Cause the Patriot wasn't civil war era. That no, was, it was revolution. Yeah. War. Revolution. Yeah, so, yeah. And so a lot of veterans of the French and Indian war were involved in been, the revolution. Yeah. War. Yeah, I, but I mean, you can kind of see or draw the sim or the goddamn it, draw the parallels between that yeah. and see like the style of fighting he did with his kids when they're grabbing guns and hiding in tree lines, yeah. Oh, yeah. killing guys. And he says, "What does he say? Shoot the captains first, or what? Like shoot the yeah. high ranking yeah, guys yeah, first, yeah, yeah, officers yeah. first, and so and then work your way down." And that's exactly what was happening here. So yeah. I think they kind of nod of the cap to or tip of the cap to fucking those oh, men. those yeah. guys and yeah, how yeah, this yeah. worked absolutely so it, it's a you know a way to look at it it's crazy man people are not it's crazy to think where we came from it is just how people led We're their sitting, life to get where we are how, at this moment yeah. on a roadcaster or whatever Dude, exactly, <laughs> exactly we're sitting we've here got, we've got jordan's ribs in the oven yeah some potatoes on the stove top we have our own salted pork yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a lot salty and sugary yeah all right i think uh i think we might end it right there it's kind of a somber podcast but it's kind of a somber like serious book if you think about it it's a serious episode in our history not everything should be you know shits and giggles Fart you jokes. should yeah, yeah you should i mean this is why we are where we are today, how we got this country. Look into your history. Do yourself a favor. If uh, if anybody is listening to this, though, and they have any books that they'd like us to read um, and check out and talk about, reach out. We're obviously open to uh, looking into stuff like this. I think you guys kind of understand where we're coming from and the kind of stuff that we're into. Um Wait so, yeah. till you get my next book recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. already well, a actually, socialist. I'm, I'm glad that uh, we're talking about that because next is the obstacle is the way. Is that correct? The obstacle is the, the, obstacle obstacle is the way. way. Yeah, All right. So Ryan for anybody Holiday. who wants to uh, read along before we record the episode. Did you start that time book? I did. Did wow. that blow your mind? Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. Did you send it to me? Because you yeah. guys kind of, oh, shit. Both okay. you guys, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Um, what is it, is that, that going to be after the obstacle is the yes. way? Okay. Uh, it's one. I mean, hey, it's. They, we'll find out. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's yeah. offline stuff. Okay. Obstacle is the way. Ryan Holiday. Um, that's the next book. Uh, yeah, it'll be a good one, just like this. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.